1: Welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb. And as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa on a very special episode. Dustin, how are you doing this week? I know how you're doing, but I'm going to ask anyway.
0: Let's go. (laughs) Cade, we stomped him into the dirt in the final bedlam. There were a bunch of OU fans in my section, my wife, my brother his girlfriend we were allowed the whole game directing all of our third down second and long all of our o's into their eardrums i don't think they appreciated it i had a blast i hope you did too that was awesome
1: um dustin I, i have to say outside of the birth of my children my marriage to my wife that might have been top five greatest day of my life. And I I have done a good job in my adult years of putting sports in perspective. Like, I, I still probably care too much. However, I have done a good job of not letting it dictate my mood one way or the other. However, I shed a tear on Saturday, like multiple tears, as I know you did as well. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I was texting you after the game. Out of I- nowhere. I can't believe I did that but i can't believe oklahoma state just did that like it was the culmination of for me dustin 28 years of bedlam heartbreak and in in one snap of the fingers i don't care about any of that anymore thanks to what oklahoma state did
0: yeah kate and i agree with you i i feel i feel like i actually some of my friends get annoyed with me at times because i don't get as mad after an osu sports loss as you maybe would think I do with how, you know, how big of fans we are and things like that. But yeah, that was an emotional victory. And when we come on here to talk about it, we're obviously still going to break it down like we try to kind of unbiased, but it's hard to not talk about this game oh. as a fan because that's what we are, kid. We're not media guys. We're just two idiots who have a podcast and we're thankful that people listen. But it was, it was an emotional win. I it was awesome. It's it's almost better with the non-called pass interference on Stoops and Dylan Smith at the end of the game because it's so funny to watch these OU nerds get so upset about it. It's hilarious. Game's over, baby. It's 27-24. That's not going to change, but keep crying. Full-blown agreement. It It unequivocally makes
1: it better. And uh, Brandon Walker of the Unnecessary Roughness podcast on the Barstool uh, you know, uh, channel of podcasts basically said Oklahoma State hit a grand slam. And the rounding of third and uh, stepping on home plate is the fact that they didn't call that pass interference. And you have seen a fan base of adults lose their ever-loving mind. And that, Dustin, like... In the moment, I didn't even think about it. Like, I have seen so many pass interference calls missed both ways over the years, not just in Bedlam, but you just come to expect it as part of the game. It's kind of like balls and strikes in in Major League Baseball. That is part of the game. And to see the uh, temper tantrum and stamping of the feet in the form of my four-year-old toddler who does that, that these (laughs) adults have been doing for four straight days has made this undoubtedly sweeter. And it was already the best sports victory I've ever been a part of.
0: Oh, yeah. And all of the, you know, we talked about last week, how we both listened to some of these OU podcasts and some of the local media stuff, which you and I don't normally do. I thought about going back and making a greatest hits audio (laughs) compilation of some of the takes from those pods. You know, I told you about the one or OU should win by two-plus touchdowns if they play OU football. And, you know, the I thought there were going to be 300 jet sweeps in this right. game, Kate. Right. There weren't any from either team. Yep. Now, to be fair, OU was running this play with Farouk that was basically a jet sweep, but it it was a pass. So that's fine. But they ran that a few times. But Oklahoma State didn't run any. I just – and I you and I are wrong all the time. I'm going to admit later – Speaking of Dylan Smith, one of my takes about him from last week about him probably not playing in this game. I, I'll, i you know, backtrack on that. But it's just hilarious how confident all of these guys were going into this game. And now you look at the final score and they lost.
1: The reality of it is, Dustin, is Oklahoma State probably feels like they could have won this game by 12 or 10, 13 points. I don't think that third
0: string X receiver out there in our second string Z
1: Oklahoma state doesn't feel like that. They snuck one. They, they frankly didn't take advantage of, of some of the opportunities that were given to them. But the reality is it was still good enough to get the win. Oklahoma turned the ball over, looked like absolute morons on, on a couple of plays. There's no mention of that in the, uh, in the media on, on Twitter. Um, And I think Mike Gundy, when he said he doesn't give a rat's ass about Twitter, I think he was uh, well ahead of his time when he first said that because uh, it's it's a cesspool of nonsense. And you've got a lot of people. I don't claim to be an expert on football. I don't know if you do either, Dustin, but uh, just the um, the lack of understanding. It has been uh, astounding and frankly vindicating because I always thought it was there, but now it's been fully uh, realized that that there is a lack of understanding of the game, uh, uh in this state.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you can tell from how Kate and I are talking right now, from what I did on Twitter, from the feels like pod this week, how much this game affected <laughs> and how much this game meant to us as fans. Well, we don't normally do this. We try not to be antagonistic, sarcastic. Well, we like to have fun but we don't normally do this with normal opponents but this obviously well, can, isn't a normal opponent and can we keep going for just a moment <laughs> I oh have, yeah no i, I just wanted like, to, i just wanted to point that out cuz i i think we sound like jerks right now but i love it i have questions for you
1: um when you look at the stat sheet and you you think back to last week um yeah, we're not going to stop being antagonistic anytime soon. I'm sorry. But when you look at the stat sheet and you think back to some of the sound bites from the week previous, uh, you know, a, a particular, you know, hope you see me on film sound bite was thrown out there by by, by one former Oklahoma State player. Are you, you talking about at, Mr. Pancakes? Oh, I was. Yeah, I was. I was talking about Denny. I was talking about Denny's with <laughs> all the pancakes that that he was consuming on saturday
0: mac and new tweeting it out which made everyone even more mad oklahoma state's tight ends coach was just awesome i actually got that clip from the all 22 i told you sent to me i I wasn't going to tweet it out from my account i was hoping someone would i didn't think it would be our tight ends coach (laughs) but that made it even funnier
1: (laughs) it it was uh you know, seeing that because I hadn't had a chance to go back and watch the game closely up to that point, so when you texted me that, it was, um, it was, it was a great moment, and it made a bedlam victory Sunday even sweeter. But I, I do want to go back to like, you know, the the atmosphere in the game, Dustin. When when did you get into
0: the stadium? I got in just a few minutes before kickoff. Okay, it, it was. Oklahoma state had just run out kind of on the field. So I guess it was several minutes before kickoff. So that is normally when we walk in, we,
1: uh, I I was very interested to see, you know, the pregame atmosphere. I wanted to see if I could catch any chippiness at midfield. So we walked in 27 and a half minutes left. Teams are kind of lining up to go inside. And I knew this day was going to be special when I walked out and the only two players on the field were Ollie Gordon and Jaden Nixon, and they were running around like crazy. The student section was in full tilt, screaming, uh, lobbing profanities at the Oklahoma sideline. This is 27 and a half minutes before a kickoff, but for anybody that was in the stadium, I've never seen a pregame atmosphere like that that far in advance. And so I just wanted to to shout that out because I walked in, knowing it would be special and then experiencing Ollie Gordon basically by himself, hearing the entire student section, chanting Ollie, you know, 30 minutes before kickoff was, was a pretty unbelievable experience. And I wish like I had caught it on camera or something, because it you, if you weren't there, it doesn't do it justice to just describing it.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. And it was so loud during the game. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> one of the best atmospheres I've ever experienced in Boone Pickens probably been some louder moments in other previous bed bedlams there that I've been at, but it was definitely the loudest game this year for sure. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I know I had a great time. I had a lot of fun rewatching the game multiple times, which I'm sure my wife didn't appreciate how long and how much time I spent rewatching this game, but it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, you know, just to kind of wrap us up before we get into the breakdown, you you mentioned the the stadium noise. I'll I'll say I, I've been to a lot of big games. The only big game I wasn't at was twenty twenty one Bedlam, as, as I've talked about on here before. Dylan Smith, the fourth down stop was the loudest I've ever heard it. I uh, that was to me. I've, I've never felt that in that stadium, and then the immediate subsequent reaction as Alan Bowman's walking out into the victory formation, not trying to pump the crowd down, he's literally telling them to get louder as they go into victory formation. I was losing my, my absolute mind. And so, you know, Dustin, for me, it was like I'll, I'll, wrapping it up by like, it was again, the best way I can say it is it was the perfect way to end what has been a painful rivalry. and, uh I hope they never play again because I want that feeling and I want that hanging over them for as long as I live. So Dustin, yeah, any final let, thoughts on just the, you know, general vibe.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to never play the bedlam game again, but if we do have to meet them in Arlington, I think we kick their ass. Cade. So I, I'm, I'm certainly
1: gonna... not scared of that, that Oklahoma team. And I don't think Oklahoma state is either.
0: So, Couple notes before we get into the offensive scheme review. A lot of guys were in the locker room after the game, former players. I thought that was really cool. I wanted to kind of list some off. Gundy said anybody could have probably been in there and he would have had no idea because of the chaos of the students on the field and everything like that after the game. So Ernest Anderson, Leslie O'Neill, Tatum Bell, Mason Rudolph, Tyler Lacey, Lamont Bishop, Malcolm Rodriguez, Brock Martin, Jason Taylor, those are Those are just some of the ones I confirmed, Kate. I don't know if you heard of any others, but that's a pretty awesome list.
1: Yeah, none none others that you just mentioned, but seeing the post-game video of all those guys in the tunnel greeting them was awesome.
0: Yeah, it was so cool. And then you saw Mike Gundy. It was the 1983 football reunion. And Mike Gundy hit him with the, how about them Cowboys? Jimmy Johnson style after the game. I just, I thought that was awesome. So I wanted to shout that out. Did you see
1: the, uh, before we, did you see him uh, telling his players the context of that before he actually yelled it? Because I actually
0: did not see that part. Okay.
1: So it was like a kind of, he had the trophy and he was holding it over his head and probably for like 40 seconds was explaining what he was about to do. So it was a little anticlimactic. But, man, the clip was incredible.
0: It was so good. Um, that was Coach Gundy's 100th career Big 12 win, making him the third coach in history to reach that milestone. Milestone. The only other two coaches are Bob Stoops and Bill Schneider. And the, kid, the last note wow. I wanted to hit before he got into the offense, according to Robert Allen, Mike Gundy called a staff meeting at 4 a.m. Sunday morning to start getting ready for UCF just to go ahead and put this game behind him. Big win. He thought he needed to do it because if not, they were going to continue to just kind of bask in the glory of this win, which he said he gave them the night to do, and then back at it at 4 a.m. So he didn't really give them even the full night, technically. No,
1: that you got to be in bed by 9 o'clock at that point, which I normally am. But that is uh, an aggressive leadership move, and I I like it.
0: Yeah. I, so, okay, let's get into the offense. Like we said, 27-24, the final score. Oklahoma State had 480 total yards of offense. My only real, I want to get to the PFF snap count notes that I put out on the Twitter thread. I want to get to those with the specific players that I'm talking about. The only general note that I had is they only played 18 guys on offense. That's the fewest amount of guys that played offensive snaps all season.
1: It felt like it. Too. I mean, I felt like every time I looked up, it was Ollie, Brennan Presley, Rashad Owens, and Leon Johnson out there, and Josiah Johnson. Now,
0: obviously, that had something to do, I think, with some of the receivers being out. You're not rotating any no guys question. in there. We didn't see any Quentin Stewart, I think, because they felt good with Josiah Johnson out there. Didn't want to take him off the field. He played a ton of snaps, which we'll get to later. But, you know, just kind of talking about the general scheme... Right at the start of the game, Cade, even in the stadium, you could see that Oklahoma State, and Mike Gundy mentioned it in his media availability. Oklahoma was inserting a safety from inside out. They were loading the box up. I took multiple screenshots. I just ran out of time in the Twitter thread of them having eight guys in the box on early downs. That's what... That's what we thought they were going to do. That's what Oklahoma State thought they were going to do. I don't think it was any surprise. They were going to sell out to stop Ollie Gordon. And they played a lot of zone early on the back end, which Oklahoma State, it looked like Casey Dunn knew that they were going to do that as well because he went to snag. He went to some other zone beaters early that they were able to find and some quick hitters and Bowman was able to just kind of use some of the motion that they went to to open things up. And Cade, speaking of that motion, 48% at Cincinnati was one of the highest of the season. It was the second highest of the K-State game. 66% of Oklahoma State's offensive snaps, by my tracking, had some type of pre stat motion. The highest percentage of motion used by oklahoma state ah, in a single game this season
1: i was told all week that oklahoma state doesn't do much i was told all week they're just going to line up and run their offense nobody watches I think some i think
0: some former players nobody side said that some former players
1: and it's extremely frustrating that's actually not it, it's it's actually vindicating in what you and i do but when you turn on the radio or you turn a podcast on That was the prevailing thought is Oklahoma state is going to come out and line up and run what they run. And And, I knew that wasn't true. And you knew that wasn't true.
0: And Kay, the thing is I neglect my family all week (laughs) to watch all this film. And these guys can't even do a little bit of homework. A a little bit would, would be helpful. Shoot. Just read our, I almost
1: threw a cuss word out there for the first time on the spot, read our Twitter thread and you would have learned something.
0: And, and that's, you know, that's these guys are way smarter than me who were subtweeting right now, but do your homework. That's all I got to say. So, Kate, some of those motions that they were using, a couple of new things, one that they went to multiple times, which almost just felt like uh, Casey Dunn just middle finger to OU in the final bedlam, is they would line everybody up in crazy spots before the snap. And so, what I mean by that, for one example, Josiah Johnson is at H back, but instead of facing the defense, he's got his butt towards one sideline and his body towards the other sideline. Then you had Braden Cassidy at running back in the pistol behind Alan Bowman. You had Ollie Gordon in the slot. And then the receivers, the other receivers kind of bunched in. Then pre-snap, they would all switch places. Ollie would go back to running back. Johnson would either split out or kind of turn his body back how it normally would be. Casty would go to an H-back spot. And then Bowman actually went under center several times and sometimes went just straight back to shotgun. But just to kind of keep OU guessing, and it it caught them off several times. I don't think they adjusted very well to that pre-snap movement. It's not really... I saw several people on Twitter ask underneath our thread, what is this for? It's not really for anything, in my opinion. It's just to kind of throw off the alignment, get the defense to where they're like, wait, who's split out right now? Oh, Gordon split out. Who's at running back and just kind of catch him off guard.
1: Well, and Oklahoma's got a fairly young secondary Gentry Williams with a, you know, he hasn't played a full game. Didn't finish this game. I, I like that. And what, what I'll throw out there, Dustin, zero procedure penalties, 66% of their plays had pre-snap movement, zero procedure penalties. That is a well-coached football team.
0: Yeah, except. The one was the uh, fourth down, but it was on the entire team when they weren't lined up. C- correct. That's a <laughs> fault. Okay. I should say like no illegal shift. No, you right, know. Right. Alignment no, issues. I just, I, I think it's funny that they called the ref literally called yeah, it on the whole
1: team. The entire team. Yeah.
0: So also some other interesting motions, kid, that I saw on the touchdown run by Ollie where it was, I think they were on the two yard line, one of the later touchdowns, it's a split zone action. So Josiah went in motion. I clipped this one and it looked like he was going to come back and block away from the offensive line, from that HVAC spot, like we talk about in split zone. And instead he pivoted, turned around and blocked to where he originally came from on the motion. So it was almost like a fake split zone action to kind of keep the linebackers guessing on which way the play was going to flow. So that was interesting. We also saw Rashad Owens lined up in the slot and he came across on that escort motion that we've seen Josiah Johnson do. And he actually set that split zone cut block, cut back block. So there were several interesting things along with the motions. Cade, we saw Oklahoma state huddle up. There were not the receivers, but running back offensive line would huddle, then run up to the line quickly and kind of get a play going almost Kansas does it in a way where you, it's called a sugar huddle. Yeah. So you you huddle the whole team, you break the huddle super fast and then you run the play really quickly. It wasn't quite like that cuz the receivers weren't huddled. They waited just a second before snapping it, but it was almost like a sugar huddle type of thing. So that yeah. was kind of cool. I just I liked some of this stuff that they brought up new for OU. And not like they were saving it, because we don't know when they installed a lot of this stuff. I mean, they probably repped it in the offseason, but it was stuff that they knew they could take advantage of OU's defense with.
1: Well, I I think that's it for me, Dustin, is like, you don't know when they put in the offense but you have to think that this was all part of the, I mean, Mike Gundy kind of said it in the, in the uh, press conference this week. He said, there's no secret now to who we are, you know, and he kind of walked you through the season. He said, Kansas state, nobody knew who we are. Kansas. Most people didn't know who we are. And now I think you have seen the full gamut of what Oklahoma state's offense is offenses. And I would wonder if you see some of that going forward as you've got Defenses like Central Florida, that is not good. Houston, not good, and BYU also not good defensively. I I would think that they put all of that in play in the gameplay and moving forward.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think I think now teams have to watch the full kind of gambit of Oklahoma State's film to get an idea of what they're going to do, and I think you know o, OU probably saw some of these things at different points in the season, but Casey Dunn's done a good job during this win streak of kind of mixing up the formations. We have talked about them going tempo, doing some check with me, mixing up the snap count. You'll even see if you go back and watch at times, Jake Springfield is signaling when to snap the ball or Dalton Cooper waving their arms back at Alan Bowman to signal kind of when to snap the ball. Some games you see it, some games you don't. They did that in this game as well. We saw some tempo, some turbo, if you will, as they like to call it. We saw some check with me. We saw it kind of mix, everything kind of mixed around there. There was also a lot of return motion, which is something we've talked about on the podcast, where the receiver will go in motion. So, for example, Rashad Owens left from his spot at the Z position, came behind Alan Bowman, and then went back to where he originally came from. What happens with that is the defense will shift to that original motion, and then they sometimes won't get set back to their initial alignment on that return motion before the snap happens. So you can kind of catch them off guard there. They did that a lot in this game. And another shift that they did a lot, Cade, which I really liked, which I don't think they've done a ton this year. We've heard a lot of talk, and we've talked about it on this podcast, about. and Coach Gundy's mentioned it, lining up Ollie and the pistol, getting him a head start. That's when he kind of gets going. Well, Oklahoma State would line him up in the pistol and then shift him to offset right before the snap. They had him offset next to Alan Bowman, shift him back to the pistol. So it was just to kind of keep OU's defense guessing and not let them key on any formation that they'd seen on film, on anything specifically. They did the fast motion with Leon Johnson and Rashad Owens where they're, they get a, that Miami Dolphins, Tyreek Hill motion we've talked about where they get kind of a running start laterally. And then at the snap, they're already running and take off upfield. So just a ton of different motion, this motions in this game, a lot of unbalanced formations too. So that would be trips to one side with a tight end on the other side, or even tight end to the same side. And they caught OU several times in those unbalanced looks. It was, it was a fun schemed game from Casey Dunn and, Kate, honestly, I I know it wasn't over 500 yards. I know they only put up 27 points, but just schematically and trying to scheme things open, I think it was one of Casey Dunn's better games. Yeah, I think it was a shining moment and a good
1: example of what you and I have been talking about. Like, you don't get to do stuff like that if your offensive line is a mess. I mean, this is, I would imagine, Dustin, this is stuff that Oklahoma State, like, a while back wanted to try to do, right? Like you had Spencer Sanders, a, a mobile threat probably would look a little different now, but I mean, this is stuff that you can't do with a, you know, uh uh, cra- uh, uh, shoot, a patchwork offensive line. This is, this is something that you and I have talked about and I think it's worth uh discussing because, um, you know, it's easy to look up and be like, "Well, where's this all been?" I, I think it's been building, and Oklahoma State stayed relatively healthy up front, and so it- it's no su- no surprise to me that they're they're playing as well as they are, and that Casey Dunn now has been, you know, heralded as you know, not a great play caller by any means, but definitely is getting more credit than I think he ever has.
0: Yeah, and I think from even from opposing fan bases now, an opponent kind of scheme breakdown guys are kind of recognizing some of the things he's doing before we get into the offensive line. I wanted to hit a couple notes from Gundy's pressers. Did you see the quote where he said that the guys just had good attitudes, great energy throughout the entire game, the players, he thought, he said he didn't even need to do anything like what he did with Ollie after the fumble in the previous yep. game. He he didn't even need to do it. And he was like, so I didn't even really have to do anything the entire game because that's normally one of the main things I do. And none of these guys needed that extra motivation or that pep talk at any point during this game, which is fantastic. And I believe it. I mean, this game was tight
1: the whole way. Oklahoma state was, you know, was the one landing punches. I felt like with Oklahoma's turnovers and all the issues they had, I would, I I'm thankful that was the case. I would have been surprised if it wasn't because Oklahoma repeatedly made mistakes, you know, turned the ball over, or Frank just had to punt, didn't finish drives. I would, it never felt like the air left that stadium, not once. And so to me, I, that's not shocking, but it's a good thing. Uh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And he also talked about getting a little bit out of his box on some of those fourth downs. <laughs> he normally kicks field goals, but he felt good about their ability to run the ball. It sucked because on both of those fourth downs, OU's offensive line got dominated when I think they played pretty well the rest of the game. Yeah. So I give OU some credit there. I think he gave OU some credit as well. And the last note was from Dunn. I, I guess I always forget that both Glidden and JW are with him in the box when he's calling plays during <laughs> games. So that's yeah. I, I forgot about that. And he talked about it in his postgame media availability. So I just wanted to throw that out there.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think I
0: remembered that. Either, yeah. So as we kind of get into the offensive line and things like that, we talked about the scheme and kind of what OU was trying to do. Kate, you know, one thing I forgot to mention when I talked about the scheme and OU playing with so many guys in the box a lot in them at the beginning of the game and kind of even throughout the game, Oklahoma State was sixteen of twenty-two passing for two hundred and one yards. That's nine point one yards per pass on first down. And coach Dunn said after the game, he should have probably even thrown it more on first down.
1: And I actually would agree with that. I I felt like as the game progressed, even Mike Gundy said it, he didn't say it necessarily specific to first down. He said it kind of in general, like in hindsight, you probably could have tested them on the perimeter even more than they already did. I mean, especially Leon Johnson made several good catches late. Like I, I agree with that. Like notwithstanding to just first down, they could have thrown the ball more if they wanted to.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, what they, what they were kind of trying to do playing that zone early is it seemed like, you know, especially when they were throwing in some cover two variations that one of those cover two safeties, whether it be the bound, it was normally, it seemed like the boundary safety was kind of breaking late to his deep half of the field, basically playing run first. Then you've got the corners and the flats, which is leaving kind of the middle of the field open for those RPO throws, which Brent Venables mentioned in his presser after the game that Oklahoma State killed them on the RPOs, which I know we'll get into more when we talk about Alan Bowman in the passing game. But if you're going to try to keep a safety deep, but also insert an extra guy into the box to stop Ollie Gordon, Alan Bowman is going to RPO you or air raid you to death.
1: And he did. And that was the thing that was most impressive to me was that they were able to sustain an entire four quarters and Alan Bowman not once put the ball in a position for OU to make a play on. It had to be infuriating because they couldn't touch him and he never threw the ball into danger. Like, I don't know how many turnover-worthy plays you have. I'm sure we'll get to it later. There you go. He was excellent. And the game plan put him in a position to do that. I just thought that he could have thrown it 50 times and it would have looked the same.
0: Yeah, he, he really could have. Like, I think Oklahoma State could have gone to the pass on first and second down even more. But, Cade, we're jumping. We're And that was my fault. I brought us there. We're jumping at Bowman and we're, go, we're going a little crazy out of order. I feel like if we go off the rails, we should be here for five hours. So let's go with the offensive line. Zero sacks. Again, Cade, zero sacks. And you're going to see... OU media on Twitter say it's because Oklahoma state had seven man pressures the entire game, keeping seven mans in the block. I put some videos out on Twitter. That is not the case of the 28 true pass plays. So discounting the RPOs, you know, Bowman threw it 42 times. So 28 true pass. And then the other ones were either RPO, which were the majority, the halfback pass from Ollie was that didn't count in Bowman's, but and then there was a couple of hard play action where they truly blocked run. And the reason why I'm not counting those is because on the RPO, the offensive line is blocking run. That's not pass protection. So you've got 28 dropbacks. I had five where they used a seven-man protection. So that means 18% of the time they went to that. So the other 23 throws, they were in five or six-man protections. And they just blocked this OU four-man front over and over and over again. And I I think PFF has Bowman under pressure on 14% of his passes. That's one of the lowest since he took over as starter. I think there's only one game lower than that. It felt not like off 4%. the top of my head, but I looked it up. 14%, Cade. I don't care if you're using 10-man pressures. 14% of the time... This this defensive line from OU, Cade, we talked about it in the preview. They got whipped against KU, and they got whipped again this week. And I don't think they don't have talent on this line, but they got their butts kicked two weeks in a row. And I thought the pass protection from this Oklahoma State offensive line in this game was as perfect as can be when you base it on the talent of these guys, what we've seen from them in the past. It was almost perfect. I'm not saying it was like the best block game in the history of football, but with these guys, with this team, I think it was one of the best block games they could have. And I think they needed it.
1: I, I don't think that they, they were running the ball, you know, well enough down to down to down to be able to withstand, you know, giving up 25%, you know, quarterback pressures or, you know, giving up a couple of sacks. I don't, I don't know if they, you know, Dustin, I, Oklahoma absolutely cooperated. Oklahoma State feels like they probably should have won by two touchdowns. But if you're giving up quarterback pressures that end in sacks, this game probably does look a lot different because of the way Oklahoma State was trying to attack. And so you have to give your flowers to everybody on that offensive line, including Josiah Johnson for the work that they did. And Ollie, there you go, including Ollie Gordon for what he did to protect Alan Bowman and give him a clean pocket to throw from, uh, which it felt like he had a clean pocket literally all day. And I've, I've never felt that with OU. Like I don't know if their D line is less talented or, or anything like that. All I know is Oklahoma state's offensive line whooped them.
0: Yeah. And a a couple of Bowman's five throwaways were on true rollouts where he only has one side of the field to throw to. So He's got two guys, and he throws it away himself. Yeah, that's that's his choice. Speaking of Ollie and Josiah in the pass pro, the way they chip block, which a chip block is when you're going to go out on a route, so you'll block, but you still set kind of part of a block. It normally looks like just kind of a shoulder. Josiah and Ollie are knocking dudes off their pass rush line when they're chip blocking and still getting out on their routes in time. Ollie hit Trace Ford one time and blasted him sideways. Josiah hit Canick one time when Canick I think was rushing and literally like knocked him out of the pass rush. So it was it was just incredible what these guys were doing. So not allowing a sack for the third straight game, it's the first time Oklahoma State's done that since 2012 and has surrendered just one sack in the past five games for the first time since the final two games in tw- 2011 and the first three in 2012, so that five-game stretch. In Big 12 play only, OSU is tops in the conference with just two sacks allowed. Oh, that's insane.
1: I mean, if you would have read that to me at the beginning of the season in the preseason, I would, I'm not sure I would have believed you. Even if all of what we thought could happen would happen, I feel like this has been a little bit better than I even expected.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, just kind of speaking general, kind of offensive line in the run game, OU looked like they were they did a pretty good job watching film on the run game as well, obviously, as you would expect. And they're a talented team. They were trying to jump the gaps a few times, but I thought the Oklahoma State offensive linemen did a good job of just taking that and driving them into the ground instead of trying to steal them the way you would on that zone run or down block them the way you would On that counter run, they just kind of took their slanting and their jumping gaps, worked with it. Specifically, Springfield did this on Ollie's big zone run on the first drive. It looks like if you watch the play once, it looks like Springfield got beat. But that defensive lineman was just jumping the gap, and Springfield just squished him into the ground. So I I love that they were doing that. The physicality was great. Alan Bowman talked about after the game in his media availability. They, he was asked if there was a lot of trash talk when, from the OU defense towards the Oklahoma state offense or vice versa when he was on the field. And he said there wasn't as much as he expected. And he thinks it's because Oklahoma state was just hitting him in the mouth every single play. And you can see that from guys like Josiah Johnson, Preston Wilson, when he was pulling, they were just laying their bodies on the line. Like Gundy talks about and It looked painful. I, I know Kanick, I've already talked about him once, he took a hit from Josiah on a counter run one time, and it looked like after that play, he was maybe not wanting to play football anymore.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if I would either if a guy with a broken toe and a thigh bruise is, is, is hitting me like that. I mean, Josiah Johnson, I mean, not to like specifically talk about him. I know we'll get to the tight ends, but that guy has blossomed. As a as oh, yeah. a player at Oklahoma State. I mean, from where we were with him game two to now is night and day. He's a huge part of this.
0: Yeah. And Cade, we talked, we've talked a lot this year about the pass scheme being kind of vanilla just running it out of different formations. That's kind of what they did with the run scheme in this game. You saw split zone, inside and wide, a you know, a couple different variations. You saw that double tight end counter out of a couple different variations. You saw that truck sweep where in this game, they actually did it one time pulling Cole Birmingham instead of pulling the play side tackle. And then HB draw, which we haven't seen a ton this year, but it wasn't like they were mixing in outside zone, jet sweeps, reverse. It was just kind of handing it off to the running back and just trying to get some blocking. And I think the reason they did that is because they had so many RPOs to set up off of that, but it ended up working out. And then we actually see a little bit more creativity, I think, this week in the passing game, but it was pretty interesting to watch this game play out. And I think it was just a well-schemed game from Casey Dunn.
1: Yeah, I mean there there's that's the perfect way to cap that is it was a it was a coaching. I mean, mismatch in my opinion. I thought Oklahoma State in all three phases looked like the better coach team and the offense sets the tone first with the way they marched down the field and the way they ended the game. So no question about it. Yeah.
0: So start with Cole Birmingham. I I had a quote from him that I wanted to read. He said, I think the whole offensive line as a whole has executed well. We communicated and did what we were supposed to do. Coach Dickey has been harping on us all season, just get a little better each week. And I really think that's what we've done. We've come together as a group, ones, twos, everybody in that room has come together and executed the way we've needed to. I, I just, I love that quote because yes. it's basically just confirming what we're seeing on the field. They're just playing better and executing better.
1: Yeah, it's point blank, matter of fact, and the truth. I mean, it, it would be one thing if you didn't see that in the film, but it's it's happening.
0: Yeah. So uh, Cole, I thought he was decent in pass pro, decent in the run game. If I had to grade him comparatively with the other linemen, I'd probably have him as the worst. But I think they all played really good. I think he had some issues holding blocks. Again, I think that's due to the knee on that sweep they pulled him on. Yep. He didn't block anybody. Uh, he dom- He got dominated on a mid-second quarter run. It was like second and ten zone run, and then on a third quarter, fourth the third four- quarter fourth and one run. Him and Cooper both let a guy just f- come straight through and tackle Ollie. Outside of that though, his pass pro was basically flawless. I think in the run game he just had a little bit of trouble getting up to the second level like I said holding some blocks, but I thought he played really well. And because Jason Brooks who we don't we don't need to go over since he only played a few snaps in this game, I believe it was 11 snaps total, left the game on crutches. Robert Allen is saying he's probably out the rest of the season. What I, How I wanted to end Cole Birmingham after hitting a couple negative points on him and kicking it back to you is I am – it sucks that Jason Brooks is hurt. You and I both love Jason Brooks, but I'm completely fine moving forward with Cole Birmingham after what I've seen from him at that left guard spot. I think he's performed well enough to be a starter. It looks like him and Dalton Cooper have some chemistry together now. And I I love that he's continuing to play through this injury. That's obviously greatly affected his play on the field. I'm assuming he's probably not going to play again after this season. And he's just giving it all laying it all out on the line in this bedlam game. And pretty much every game he's played at that left guard
1: spot and getting better. Like, I mean, he's, he's progressively playing better each and every week and it goes back to the quote you just shared. But I mean, I, I think for me, it, just more globally, it's like the importance of offensive line depth and health has been absolutely critical. I mean, this, this doesn't happen last year, the year before it, the year before that, this would have been a, you know, really big deal. If Jason Brooks goes down, now you've got a guy in Cole Birmingham, they can step right in, fill the gap, and you don't have a n- noticeable drop in production. I mean, it, I I do think you would like to have Jason Brooks out there, you'd prefer it, but Cole Birmingham has done fantastic. I mean, and, and again, I think as he gets more confident, especially confident in that knee again, I, I think he's going to continue to do what he's been doing each and every week.
0: And because you see the versatility of the Oklahoma State offense lineman and them being able to move all around, Maturko's been at right guards or right tackle some. You could see him spelling a guard if needed. Davis Dotson, who I believe is fully back from injury now, who you and I are both high on, could get in the mix if needed. So they even still have some swing guys on the bench they could use for depth. And I love that th- that these it it sucked early in the year when the offensive line wasn't playing well and it was kind of musical chairs. But now that they've got these guys have all gotten some in-game reps, it kind of helps your depth when you're losing a guy like Jason Brooks moving forward. Yeah,
1: a hundred percent. You mentioned the chemistry with him and Dalton Cooper that was something that we had noticed Jason Brooks and Dalton Cooper having early was Oklahoma State was running it heavy to the left. Well, they are still doing that too. I I don't have a percentage on runs left or runs right, but it still feels like they want to go left.
0: Yeah, I agree. Brooks, I will say it did not look like he was fully healthy when he was out there. There was a late first quarter gh counter run and he just got completely bull rushed and slammed into the ground so so i i don't think he maybe shouldn't have been out there at all
1: so i would agree with that i actually wanted to talk to you about this i he did not come back into the game after alan bowman scored on that qb draw he was in the game on that play went down in the end zone in the celebration and never came back in the game, left on crutches. So I'm I'm totally agreeing with you. There was something bothering him, and something happened, and he was just done.
0: Yeah, and he's been, he was banged up coming in. I'm sure he re-aggravated whatever that is. That's just a guess. We know it was a leg injury before anyway. But yeah, it was tough to see. Love Jason Brooks. Hopefully see him back out there at some point. Speaking of Cooper, though, stay on the left side before we move to Mahalski. He was awesome in pass pro. Just I thought he was... Fantastic. I thought he was good, not great in the run game. I I wrote down that he was good at times, decent at others. And then there was an early zone run in the game where he didn't hold his block. If he does on that play, it would have been Ollie one-on-one in space with a safety. So that was tough. And then there was a third quarter run. Oh, the fourth and one. That's what I was talking about. The one I mentioned earlier with Cole, they just kind of let that guy go right through him and, if they block that guy, Ollie probably gets the yard. So that one was tough, but in pass protection, he was incredible.
1: Well, and I, I think there were a couple of plays like that where Ollie Gordon had a big day, but they were, they were one step from having, you know, multiple long runs. Like we've been accustomed to seeing, I do think, you know, not to compliment uh little brother down in Norman, but you, uh, Yeah, you do have to credit that to some team speed that you haven't seen quite yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, this OU defense made some plays in this game. Yeah, they they were good. The way they were playing counter in some of the split zone stuff where they knew Oklahoma State's line was maybe flowing one way and their backside edge pursuit, which also this is what probably got them on a lot of the RPOs too, but their backside edge pursuit, which was normally a DB, or a linebacker tackling and even it trace ford even did it one time shout him out positively since we kind of bashed him quite a bit they were making tackles from the backside and that guy's not blocked yep. so it's it it was they were playing those they were playing those type of runs really well yeah. oklahoma state adjusted as the game went on by having that backside tackle kick that edge guy out but then ou made an adjustment by changing the alignment of their defensive line. So it was a, it was a fun chess game as the game went on on how the run game operated. It was, it was really fun to see unfold at, you know, through the first, second, third, fourth quarter.
1: There were a couple in that third and fourth quarter where Oklahoma state, Jake Springfield specifically did kick a guy out. And if Ollie saw it quick enough felt like those were opportunities. And I know we'll get into some of that here in a little bit, but I, I, I thought that Oklahoma state's offensive line, like they gave up some you're that's going to happen against a talented defensive front. And they've got an extra guy in the box that I, I, I thought Kip Lewis played well. Um, this last I was about to say he I'm was gonna, really good. Uh,
0: did they miss, did they miss Stutzman at all? I mean, he was really good. Kate, I was, you know, in the preview last week, I, when I was saying that Stutzman is more of like the smart player, he doesn't pop like the Nick Martin with the speed missile shoot right at you. I wasn't trying to say Stutzman's not a good player, but Kip Lewis has more of that Nick Martin in him, which makes it pop so much yeah, more well, on the, film than just a smart linebacker who's kind of weaving, wobbling, and then just kind of making the tackle, but it's not normally like a huge hit. He,
1: he did get dropped by Alan Bowman in the open field, though. Like Alan Bowman left him on the turf. So we'll, we'll end yeah, it but with that. I mean,
0: that, we're talking about Alan Bowman here. We're <laughs> talking about one of the most agile players we've seen in football history.
1: Oh, this is so, so beautiful.
0: My, uh, that, that was my wife's favorite play of the game to shout her out. She loved that play. But, there was like 25
1: um, of my favorite plays in, in that game. I couldn't <laughs> pick one.
0: Yeah. Watch this game like five times. Actually, I think I could.
1: Uh, I think I could. The fumble in the end or near the uh, uh, student section in the fourth quarter—that was hands down. I was uh, losing
0: my ever-loving mind. Andrew Rames said after the game that uh, he actually gave the crowd credit in his media availability. Wow! So shout it out was to so him loud. for giving the crowd credit. He also made a really weird comment. I wrote it down, but it's way down on my notes. So I'm not going to scroll the <laughs> way. We'll get to it later. <laughs> I can paraphrase it, but it was basically he. He was like, I'll take credit for one of the fumbles, but I'm not gonna take credit for the other one. Oh, the okay. one that was snapped to Javante Barnes. And then Venable said that wasn't supposed to be snapped to Barnes when he got asked about it. In well, then your quarterback shouldn't line
1: up behind the guard.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. If you look at that play, Gabriel's left foot is on one side of the hash, meaning his right foot's, you know, like completely away from it. And the ball is on the other side of that same hash. So at best, you're snapping it into Gabriel's left leg. That's on your quarterback, but I, the whole
1: thing was so I think it was stupid. a
0: snap to Barnes. And I think that's why rain is answering it weird. So I that's thought it why was Venable's is answering it weird.
1: When I went back and looked at it, I thought it was a gadget play. Like I thought they were going to try right, to pop. Exactly. O's because you because you watch
0: the O line too. They're doing something straight. They're, they're breaking straight to the left, like a kind of outside zone and sweet play stoops is cutting he's he's coming across the formation
1: uh in some sort of like not an orbit or anything but it looks like they're gonna flip it to him and then they split stogner out to the like they were trying to do something there so i agree and with they you. don't want to give it away
0: yeah in this media availability because they're, they're gonna need it to, to be west listen. virginia so that's why one more thing on that play before we move to Mahalski. did you like the circus music that i put to the video? oh on dustin i know that was kind of corny but it made
1: me laugh no and if there's anybody that i know would appreciate that it's my father that that type of stuff <laughs> is uh right up his alley i haven't heard
0: from him on that one so i'll I'll need to send it to him yeah ask him if he doesn't like yeah. it don't tell me but if he does okay yeah yeah, yeah yeah for sure okay joe maholski awesome in pass pro Cade, here's a situation i don't have many notes on joe because he it was, was awesome. outstanding best game of his career is that fair? He, Yeah, he's one of the only guys who I said was solid in the run game. I thought he was really good, along with Springfield, who we'll get to. But I thought he was really good in the run game. I thought he was really good in pass pro. He handled it when OU went with their odd front with a true nose in his face. He handled the even front well. He did a good job in pass pro when OU wasn't rushing many guys to be that helper and to kind of go, go with the flow, pick up where other guys pick up the blitz, And then on that halfback draw in the late second quarter, I know the guy ended up making the tackle that he blocked, but he blocked that guy nine yards down the field. He got his hands on him at the line of scrimmage. I clipped it and pushed him nine yards backwards. And then Ollie got tripped up and ran into him. So it looked like that guy made the tackle and he kind of did. But Mahulski literally pushed that guy nine yards down the field.
1: He also threw Kip Lewis out the club on Ollie Gordon's yes. touchdown run. I clipped that one too. I was going to send it to you, but I knew you would catch it. So,
0: yeah, he literally tossed him like, throw him Mama out Dollar the club. Her baby dolls when I tell her to <laughs> pick him up.
1: <laughs> That's perfect.
0: It was hilarious, which again, I don't like to take shots of Kip Lewis because I actually really like him. He might be my favorite OU player, but we're not taking which I'm, I'm just saying any. you get thrown out the club. You're going to get caught on tape. We're going to talk about it. And I don't have a favorite OU player. My least, my least, least favorite player. There we go.
1: We should go the other end and let's talk about our least favorite.
0: We can do that later. <laughs> All right. Preston Wilson. Awesome. And pass pro. I thought he was good in the run game. I do think he had a couple of whiffs that led to tackles. But when we get to Ollie Gordon, Kate, I'm also going to talk about a couple of blocks that some of these guys had where Ollie... Missed it, and I'll get into more of that later. Let's save it because we keep going. On. I keep taking us off the rails. I thought he was solid in the run game, not great. He had a ton of good things to say about Coach Dickey and his practice availability from this week. Also, it's 11 minutes long. If you want to check that out on OSU Max, it's really good. I, I think they filmed that yesterday, but it's a really good availability. He said Ollie Gordon still needs to take them to eat. He said he was going to take them out to eat. Ollie also said the same thing after the game. It sounds like a schedule conflict, but they're apparently going to be going to Freddie Paul's, which I oh, worked classic. There for a little bit in college. But I it, I love the relationship. I know we talk about it every week. It's probably getting old. The relationship between the O-line and Ollie is just so awesome.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. The mutual love there is uh, is is apparent.
0: The, uh, just a couple negatives that I wanted to hit specific. Cause I don't like to bash these guys, but I'm not bashing them, but I don't like to critique without just going over a couple first double tight end counter run. Not great by him. I thought that kind of led to that play getting busted. And then I think his pull on the late GH counter run late first quarter GH counter run. It looked, it honestly led me to the point and they made some adjustments as I said, later in the game, I think they were a little confused on those GH counter runs with how OU was lining up. And because of that backside pursuit of who to block, you saw Wilson and Josiah kind of end up blocking the same guy multiple times when there was a guy a little bit up at the next level who they probably could have kept climbing and attacked. And I think that led to Ollie having to slow up, which led to a tackle from the backside pursuit. Yeah. Yeah there there were a couple of
1: those uh where oklahoma had it schemed up well but oklahoma state obliged like that that was a little bit of a theme and a little bit concerning but I mean, Oklahoma was overloading that edge they they likely knew it was coming
0: so I, I i don't
1: lose too much sleep
0: over those ucf isn't going to have the speed That's and the physicality thing. to do that so i'm going to be interested if they try to replicate it I don't think it'll work. I think it'll actually lead to some huge busts if they try to do that. But we'll see. Bowman's going to keep to one, that one of yet. these
1: days. He's, oh, he's yeah. going to keep
0: one. With that backside pursuit in this game, if Bowman would have kept one of those, I was waiting, for knowing it. how fast and agile he is, he would have broken maybe an 80-yard touchdown. I was waiting for it, man. I really was. They're saving it, Cade. I think so. He did it actually a couple times earlier this year, but I still think he's going to do it a couple more. Jake Springfield, Adam Lunt called this out already, so don't want to steal his thunder he i know he put multiple clips of springfield up on twitter but springfield one of his better games i think amazing in pass pro he did you know it's he's not like an all-world offensive lineman so he did i had him with a second and two in the second quarter he didn't have a great block that led to that play getting busted there was a whiff on uh late third quarter first and 10 zone run with like 2 minutes left which i think led to that play getting busted but outside of those, I thought he was really good in the run game, and his pass protection again was amazing. And like I already said, and like Adam Watt called out in multiple clips on Twitter, I think it was one of his better games. I
1: mean, it he was he was fantastic. I mean, again, I, as I watched this, there were some boo boos, but I I. You know, I kind of texted you this. We texted briefly about it. I do give some credit to the way Oklahoma was playing them uh, on some of those downs. So I, I just Jake Springfield was was great, and I I you know I think that for me Oklahoma comes in loads the box. Oklahoma State uh, adjusts to it, starts throwing on the perimeter. They still feed Ollie Gordon. The game went exactly how you would have thought it went in Oklahoma State wins the game. And it's like and the offensive yeah. line is a critical component to that.
0: And I know, you know, I know on the other side, on OU side, they've got what ifs as well. But if you convert those two fourth downs or if you even kick field goal on one of them, you're at 30 points. I, I mean, you know, it's and you're probably adding you're probably getting close to five hundred yards if you convert one of those. You, you you're put at eighty. Uh, speaking of what ifs you put
1: it on Twitter, uh Oklahoma State's average down to or distance to go on third down eight yards their average yards gained 10 i mean oklahoma state was was doing a very good job on third down and so that's where your hay is made and um i mean the other thing i'll say dustin we talked about this last week oklahoma state had to win the time of possession battle they not just won it they dominated the time of possession
0: It was 37 minutes and 14 seconds for Oklahoma State to 22 minutes and 46 seconds for OU.
1: That's turnovers in the offensive line. And it's probably offensive line turnovers in that order. So,
0: yeah. And, you know, not talking about the defense yet, but it's holding OU to one, two, three and outs. And along with one, two, three turnovers. That's what I'm saying. Several turnovers and downs. I, I mean, it's just. They really stalled them and, and several empty drives. The defense. Several
1: yeah. empty drives that were, you know, it doesn't show up as a three and out, but it was like a five and out. You know what
0: I mean? So, yeah, exactly. Okay. On to Ollie. 33 carries. I'm going to run some stats off Cade, like I normally do to start him, if that's cool. 33 carries, 137 yards, two TDs, 4.2 yards per carry, eight missed tackles forced. He still had three rushes over 10 plus yards. Remember, when we talked about Oklahoma State having. A couple games last year where they didn't have any. 84 yards after contact. One target, one reception for 18 yards. That was the halfback screen. He had 54 yards off the left edge, according to PFF. 60 yards in between the guards. Wow. That's not one I tracked. He also threw a pick on a play. Trick play that was supposed to go to Alan Bowman. He even said it after the game. Casey Dunn actually didn't want to say who that play was supposed to go to. And then Ollie, in his media availability said that he was supposed to throw it to Bowman. And then he tried to improvise and throw it to Owens, who kind of was open, just not a great throw. Bowman was covered. So
1: got a really good look at this play from the West end zone where we sit. Bowman was covered. It was actually not throwing it to him was the right decision. Throwing (laughs) it to anybody was the wrong decision uh, from, from Gordon. But man, when he let it go, Owens was wide open. I thought yeah. he was gonna I thought we were gonna have an all-time bedlam play on our hands.
0: He sets his feet and throws that. He might have got it there.
1: Oh, well, here's the thing, Dustin. If that if that gets back to Bowman, it's a walk-in touchdown. So it was a oh, really yeah. nice play from Ethan Downs because if Bowman is the one throwing that football, no Owens had 20 yards between him and the safety.
0: Which they've run that truck sweep so many times this year and just set that up. And we even talked about Didn't it on we this podcast. Did you say that, that was coming? <laughs> Yeah, you called that one, and yes. I was calling it off the split zone play action, yes. but you called it on that one, so great call by you. Thank you. All right, a couple more Alex stats. He had – that was a career-high 33 carries, six straight game rushing for at least 100 yards. He's rushed for 100-plus yards in six straight games, which is tied for sixth, the sixth longest streak in program history and the fourth Cowboy to do so since 1988 has scored multiple touchdowns in four straight games with 10 total scores, including three consecutive games with two-plus rushing touchdowns. Marked the most rushing yards allowed, 137, by Oklahoma this season, and his two rushing touchdowns also matched Oklahoma's season total high. He is the second in Big 12 history to win four consecutive player of the week awards.
1: He's a freak. <laughs> and I mean, it's unreal. He uh, he spoke a little bit about what his injury was and the way he described it sounds unbelievably painful. And if you go back and look at it, it's in the third quarter, I think when he slammed his knee into the ground, it's a turf burn is what he said. And on that play, it opened back up. And if you go watch it, he slams his right knee into the ground. And if you've ever had a turf burn like that, that is excruciatingly painful. And for him to just tough it out, come back in, and on the touchdown run, Dustin, the two-yard touchdown, they could have had 11 in the box, and he was scoring. He oh, was yeah. he was scoring shot out way. of an absolute cannon. He is the heart and soul of this football team, I think. Him and the offensive line, I mean, shoot, Alan Bowman, you can't you can't knock him in this, but they're going to go as Ollie Gordon goes, and I mean, I'm not saying Heisman, but if he keeps this up, he he, he will be in New York,
0: and he had the Ollie Gordon Alan Bowman step brothers shirt. Oh, on so after good the game. He was on ESPN today getting interviewed, just really awesome. Kate, I will say about the turf burn. Robert Allen is also reporting that his ribs are a little banged up. Kind of concerning going forward. Gundy said he thinks Ollie's good to go injury wise, but you got the turf burn. You've got the banged up ribs. You got a career high 33
1: carries. You rest him in practice this week, I think, and get back. Yeah, I would be
0: shocked if he practiced very much, if at all, this week. But he's a tough guy. He's a young guy. I'm not worried about him playing this weekend against the 127th worst rush defense out of 130 in the country the Jaden nixon game him. it's the Jaden yeah. nixon
1: game i'm calling
0: it i actually think i think nixon and collins could yeah. probably get some carries in this game and still do okay with how the line's been blocking but ollie i love that uh coach dunn said ollie walked up to him after the game and said you're probably gonna chew me out about that pick huh that's the first thing he said to him <laughs> after the game so i thought that was really funny obviously we, we talked about the offensive line going out to eat he gave the offensive line props first thing again in his media availability after the game he said he's only as good as uh, his offensive line so it's just awesome i thought we talked about it he was great in pass protection his fourth quarter run on the really long the 97 yard drive or whatever that run to get down to the 2 yard line oh. was incredible it, it, he that play was not blocked well at all he could have got tackled in the backfield and he busted it for a huge run.
1: So it was very similar. It was actually, I think, the same call as what they ran in the first quarter that they scored on. I was told by a certain local media personality that anybody could have ran through that hole on the opening touchdown run. Ollie Gordon, thanks to Joe Mahalski, if Joe Mahalski doesn't make that block, Ollie Gordon's hitting the backfield. But Ollie Gordon, that little sidestep that he does... He continues to make defenders look silly. It's five weeks in a row that he has made a big run with just really that move at the line of scrimmage. So he is additionally helping this offensive line, obviously. But, I mean, they are uh, they are going with him, and uh, it's it's a lovely sight to see.
0: Hey, if he follows Cole Birmingham on the second halfback draw they won run at the end of the second quarter on that last try that ended in the Hail Mary, if he follows Birmingham there and cuts it left, he may have been gone, or he probably would have gotten into field goal range. And one thing I wanted to mention about him is as the game kind of went on, I think you saw that backside pursuit from OU that we've mentioned affect his patience, which has been awesome all year. He ran into the back of Josiah Johnson on one play where if he lets Josiah make the block, there's nobody else there yep. besides yep. the safety. And it's not his fault because I think it was the way OU was playing those runs and credit to them on that. But I think if, if that doesn't happen early in the game, he maybe be bust a couple more big ones than he did. But the fact that he just continues play after play to run with that same intensity never slows down, never shies away from contact, even with the turf burn even with the supposed banged up ribs, it's just incredible to watch him play. And it's honestly, thank you to Ollie Gordon Gordon for allowing us to watch him play. It does, doesn't it feel like
1: that? So I I have, I've been fortunate enough to see most of the recent, you know, Oklahoma State greats and Justin Blackman, Des Bryant, James Washington, Mason Rudolph, all with my own eyes. I've never seen a, fan base and a team center around one guy and i i think the fact that he's your running back makes it a little bit easier because he touches the ball so much in a game but i'm telling you the the pregame him running around with his helmet off it was unlike anything i've ever seen he is i mean he is oklahoma state football right now there are so many other pieces to this but i mean everybody's talking about ollie gordon and it's for good reason i mean i didn't even think that this was his best game in this stretch i thought he left some yards on the table but to take to tote the rock 33 times and to have two touchdowns and power through whatever injuries he's dealing with and keep the emotion that he has i mean and he's soft spoken in the post game it's just like the guy is impossible not to love i mean he's he's gonna go down as one of my one of if not my my all-time favorite cowboy
0: oh same here and like i said you know i i bought the run ollie run shirt for somebody as an early christmas present it's it's just it's so hard not to want to support this guy through nil not to cheer for him not to get the ollie chance going so i completely agree with you i i feel the same he's gonna go down as one of my favorites too Kate, before we, if you're done with Ollie, yep. before we move on to their receivers, I'm not. I, I could want, talk about him for three days, but <laughs> I, I did have one note I didn't hit on the run game. I think we've covered most of the scheme. I just wanted to say that excluding the two kneel downs, which you have to exclude, you, you're conceding those plays. Oklahoma State rushed for 4.1 yards per carry. That's what That's they not want. not bad. Uh, uh, one yard short of 150 yards rushing, if you take out those two kneel downs, And 4.1 yards per carry. That's, you know, Gundy talked about it last year when he was trying to get the run game to kind of that goal of 4.2, 4.1, 4.3 yards per carry. That's kind of the sweet spot right there. So it's not a bad game rushing, despite looking at the box score and seeing 3.8, because I think you got to take out those kneel downs.
1: And I'm not saying that like Oklahoma State pads the stats by any means, but. They didn't have the the gashers that they've had, you know, in, in recent weeks. They they had a couple of long runs, but they, they didn't have an 80 yard touchdown run. They didn't have many 40 yard chunk plays at all. This was this was a hard earned four point one yards per carry. And uh I think it's gonna serve them well when they'd see who they're lining up against the next couple of weeks.
0: Against a defense that was aggressively oh, trying yeah. to stop the run. With, aggressively.
1: with with good, decent safeties coming down into the box. I thought that, oh, you did a good job of not putting Key Lawrence in that position because he's a terrible tackler. As I said last week, and he was terrible in this game, they, I thought they did a good job of putting their, their best tackler and Billy Bowman in, in most of those spots. Robert yeah, spears yeah as well. Plays. Yep.
0: Yeah, he made, you know, he had the pick on the Ali yep. Gordon throw, so he, he made some plays in this game for sure. Yeah. All right, wide receivers. First, the one kind of general note, I I like to always pull out kind of one stat, you know, Cade, interesting one or one that I think is interesting. It's probably not. Six contested catches in this game. That's the second most since Bowman took over as quarterback. According to PFF, West Virginia was the first. So I thought that was kind of interesting because we've talked about Owens and LJ3 not being like your big time separation receivers, but they still were able to make some big time catches in this game. And I think I actually think overall they were pretty good getting separation. Rashad Owens. Let's start with him. 17 targets, 10 receptions, 136 yards. He also played eight snaps in the slot, which I mentioned on the Twitter thread. They, they put Presley out as the outside receiver multiple times to kind of get some different looks for him and get him open because OU was playing so much zone to open him up to some of those hitch and curl routes. So eight snaps in the slot is the most in big 12 play. You know, coach Gundy said, you never know what a young man can do until he's given a chance in a game. Coach Dunn said about LJ three and Owens, they're tough, durable, never hurt. Even when they're hurt, they're always practicing. And Bowman about Rashad, which I think describes him perfectly. He just said he has that dog mentality. No, no question
1: about it. And if you, again, I'm going to go back to the pregame. When they were huddled around kind of talking as an entire team, you know who's in the middle of the huddle yelling at everybody? Rashad Owens. And so for him to be that kind of vocal presence and then go out Takes 17 targets, 10 catches, 136 yards. That's got to be a career high. I didn't look, but that's got to be a career high. That is like next level football right there for him to go do what he did. And the multiple kind of acrobatic catches running after the catch. I, I didn't know he had a lot of that in him. If I'm being totally honest, I thought his route running was by and large, very good, which I, Again, I didn't know he had that in him to the degree he did on Saturday. I, I was just very surprised. He, I I'll, I'll say he's that dude. I mean, I, I would not want to go up against him in a contested catch situation.
0: Yeah. He, and I know I've talked about it on here a bunch, but watching him in that practice in the spring, I was like, how does this guy not play? And if he ever was to, to play, I think he would be really good at, not at Cowboy, back at the true receiver position, outside receiver position. So it's awesome to see him doing this and know that that practice that I watched wasn't just a fluke because it's really cool to see. But a couple stats on him. First Oklahoma State player with double-digit receptions since the 2021 Fiesta Bowl where Brennan Presley and Tay Martin each had 10. He totaled the highest receiving yardage allowed to a player by the Oklahoma defense this season. Besting the previous total of 134 by UCF's Javon Baker, who we'll talk about later. Cade, he is such a good blocker on run plays, yep. and he is never not blocking. Like he's never taking a playoff, except, you know, when there's an Art Bryles one side of the field play or a rollout on the backside where he's not needed. He's going to catch his breath there. But on any run play, he is blocking
1: yeah he's he's got a motor and um you know when you talk about you know some of the praise we heaped on Ollie Gordon being the heart and soul of this football team you've got other leaders and Rashad Owens is one of those guys i mean he is the way people talk about him as well is noted like i i i think even if you've got a you know healthy Jaden Bray i know who obviously Leon Johnson is filling in but i mean when um DeSean went down i thought that this was this was a huge deal and i still think DeSean would have <laughs> abused oklahoma's secondary more so than Rashad Owens did but for him to stand in there and and be a volume receiver for the first time in his career and to execute on it was just like man you you have to you have to give him his flowers
0: yeah, I completely agree. I like your point about Strimling. If you would have had him to mix in in this receiver rotation, two twenty <laughs> with OU and OU still played schematically the same way, it would have been a uh, would have been a, a nightmare big for day them. for old Strib. A uh, few just general play notes on Owens: the drop he had. That He still scored on that drive, so it didn't matter. Like fourth play
1: of the game, third play of the game? Yeah,
0: so I loved that play call right there, and his route on that was awesome. I know. Great throw from Bowman. So it was diamond formation. It was ISO-hitch RPO, so they ran the ISO as the run play. He had the hitch route. OU's corner was in press, and this is how you knew KC Dunn had an idea of how they were going to play. What OU was doing early was putting that corner in press coverage and either dropping into cover two or bailing out into the zone. They weren't playing a lot of man off of it. So right when Bowman sees that corner bail out of press, press coverage, he knows Owens is going to be able to create separation. Easy read for Bowman, throws it. Owens just drops it. But then he comes back on literally like, I think it was the next play. might've been a couple of plays later. The GH counter glance RPO Bowman had to let it go a little high. I think he was worried about uh Boithrod getting his hand up. So he moved to the side and threw it high, which is a dangerous throw to throw high with the safety back there. Owens tips it to himself, yep. makes the catch. Absolutely incredible. Eye control, balance, body control, and hands to make that catch. I mean, he he it felt like he did it
1: five times. He didn't, but I mean, hit his ability to haul those in was not something I expected to see. I mean, he's got ridiculous uh, hands.
0: I, I I didn't know he could do that. His early first quarter rollout in the early first quarter comeback route that he had, so much separation on that. Oh, yeah. If you go back and watch that play, he left that corner. I think it might have been Woody Washington. He left him in the dust. That was a cool play, too. They brought Cassidy... In motion back towards the play. And then they had Josiah kind of fake a crackback block. So it looked like a it was play action, it looked like a run play. And then both of them actually went out and ran routes to the rollout side. So that was pretty interesting. I think we'll see that play again and maybe some variations off of that. One critique I had on him, mesh, he was running the sit route. So on mesh, you have the two crossers and then one of the variations Oklahoma State likes to run is they, especially against zone, is they'll have that sit route behind. So when the linebackers spread out with the crossers or the nickel DB, you have the sit route right behind it. Owens, it's one of Bowman's incompletions. If he just stops and turns around right when he gets to the clearing, he's wide open. He faded, drifted back into the hands of Robert Spears Jennings. It was Hmm. like he trust fell back into his hands so <laughs> i that was one the one probably critique outside of the drop that i had his catch on the mid uh or the third and one in the middle or first and ten sorry in the middle of the third quarter was unreal the one down the sideline yeah where he again kind of tipped it to himself he got banged up on that too i was worried he wasn't going to come back in he drew the defensive pass interference in the fourth which I know was some it was pass interference offensive, but it was definitely pass interference. And then Cade, the play I wanted to end it on before I throw it back to you on Owens, the stiff arm he had on Wagner at the end of the third quarter it was the last play of the third quarter. It was a hitch route. He caught it stiff arm and was able to run after catch, which he had 56 yards running after the catch. It was beautiful. I'm going to need to go back and clip that and just kind of replay it over and over and over again on Twitter incredible stiff arm
1: yeah I thought he was gonna score on that play if I'm being honest again when you're in the west end zone things uh depth perception you you get a really good angle from it but I, I thought he was gonna score and um again I, I just kind of go back to his overall athleticism like he's a big bodied guy 6'1 220 he's he's pretty nifty and I yeah, I didn't he chops ex- his feet well yeah I just didn't um I don't know if I, I caught that well enough. So that stiff arm was nasty, but he made play after play after play after play. I had people texting me, like, who who is who is this guy? And it's like, well, he's been around for a long time, but that's fair. I mean, he was he was all over the place on Saturday.
0: So good. Uh Bray, injury, shoulder injury, didn't play, didn't dress. Blaine Green dressed, didn't, but play. didn't play. I'm assuming he'll be back against UCF so moving on to Presley nine targets eight receptions an 89% catch rate in 97 yards he had nine snaps split out wide not in the slot he hadn't had more than four in a game this season he had multiple games with zero snaps in that position so that was a fun little wrinkle they threw it to him also on a curl route there Dunn said Presley always gets yards after the catch his yard his running after catchability, 73 of his 97 yards came after the catch. Five missed tackles forced, Cade. When I called the receivers out last week for zero missed tackles forced, five missed tackles forced in this game by Brennan Presley. And
1: I'm, I don't think all of them were Kip Lewis, but several of them were. And that just made me really happy to be able to have said that last <laughs> week. And then it happened.
0: His run after catch on the first screen RPO of the game I say was Key Lewis, I'm the Key Lawrence.
1: I'm sorry, Dustin.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. He had really good blocking on the second screen, but Billy Bowman made the, the shoestring tackle. If he doesn't make that tackle, mm-hmm. I think Presley might have been gone there. Yep. Really good catch, run, run after catch in the fourth quarter. And just over my last note on him is his overall route running in this game, especially against zone coverage, was beautiful.
1: Uh, he was covered up a lot of the game, but when he has the ball in his hands, it's kind of easy to forget how electric he is in the open field. I mean, that first catch of the game for him, I thought he was going to score as well. Like he, he just, when you get the ball in his hands, you kind of hold your breath a little bit. And so you got to figure out a way to do it more, especially as, you know, Oklahoma State's perimeter receivers, you know, hopefully get healthier, but there's no guarantee of that.
0: He's not going down from a shoulder tackle either. Even though no. he's that small, you have to wrap up or he's going to break the tackle. Yeah, and I just it
1: feels like Oklahoma State's brimming on on the offensive side of the football with with talent. And I I I want to say they're not, but I, I'm kind of coming to the belief that they are. Like you've got what Rashad Owens did, what Brennan Presley did, what Leon Johnson was able to do. I mean, th- this is a um This is becoming a dynamic offense, and you can't key on one thing and expect to win a football
0: game. Yeah, I agree. Wrapping up with Leon Johnson, nine targets, five receptions, 70 yards, 20 yards after catch. Cade, one interesting note on PFF, his average depth of target, so where he's at when he's getting targeted on the field, downfield, has been exactly 17.1 in both the games he started. That's kind of wild, and he also yeah. wears 17. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really strange. Uh, Coach Dunn said after the game that Leon really wanted another year with Coach Glass, really wanted another year practicing with the team in this D1 Power 5 kind of environment, but he understands he's fine with you know losing the red shirt, having this be his last year, and he's going to make the most of it. He talked with the media after practice yesterday about not knowing. So he talked about how his route running, just coach Dunn told him he ran high school routes when he got there. And one of the examples he gave was on a go route. He just thought you ran, you ran by the guy. He (laughs) didn't know that you, you know, cut outside, lean back in, stack on top of the DB. So it's interesting to kind of hear that from him because it's something you and I have called out with him. And what I saw from him at that practice, which was a long time ago in the spring, his route running ability, but he has continued to improve even game to game. I think he did a good job in this game. You know, there were times mid second quarter go ball that Bowman actually thought Bowman made a good throw on. The DB was able to make a play because Bowman, because LJ3 had no separation. He's getting held a little bit, which is probably one of the reasons he had no separation. But then, you know, on the fourth quarter RPO, where Bowman makes an awesome throw to him, he has plenty of separation on that hitch route. Great job chopping his feet, breaking back towards the ball. I thought he had a good game. Not, you know, he didn't pop off the charts, but he did enough to where OU had to respect him in the passing game. Well, and he
1: made plays late. And, you know, a lot of these guys, they blink. And Leon Johnson didn't blink. I mean, he had several catches down the stretch that were – um you had to have type of plays and on the drive before Oklahoma state ended up having to punt to that was their last drive of the game. I think they threw that threw at him twice. He caught one, but he had a great run after catch. I, I just, I am pretty impressed with him. I mean, he's, he's going to make some, you know, kind of uh, f- not fundamental mistakes, but like some mistakes in the details that don't necessarily pop. If you're not paying attention, but man, I mean, you have to give him credit 100 whatever 46 yards he had last week nearly 80 this week I mean he can stretch the field on you and against the again the next three teams that you play this experience is going to be invaluable for him because he's going to be a factor down the stretch I think
0: yeah I agree talking about his great catches the first late first quarter zone glance RPO that he dove and caught was awesome oh yeah the the bluff screen, so the fake screen to Presley, Owens and LJ3 go fake their stock blocks and they both run routes. That was so awesome. LJ3 almost ran out of bounds, but he kept, he towed the sideline, was able to stay in bounds, make the catch. But they had just run on the previous drives screens out of that same formation to Brennan Presley. So I loved that play call from Dunn. Great catch, great throw. LJ3, I th- I thought he was really, really good again. The last receiver note I, I had, Cade, is just to mention that Cabanis got in for a few snaps at Z when Owens got banged up. I think Owens will be good to go. He kept coming back in the game, but definitely would hate to have to go to your third string on both sides. My,
1: yeah, my, my last note on LJ3, he should have had a tutty. I mean, Bowman... Did not wait long enough to let go of that ball on third and seven in the fourth quarter, ran that uh, corner route into the end zone. He came open late. Bowman wanted it back immediately, put his hands on his helmet. Like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? LJ three should have had a tutty.
0: Great call. Great call by you real quick on the tight ends. We'll just hit Johnson and Cassidy since the other guys didn't play a ton. Josiah Johnson, the pancake on trace Ford was, incredible it was just it's one of the greatest things i've ever seen in my life yeah
1: how has it been on a loop in your living room for you know it's, four days
0: it's just i mean if you're gonna talk smack and then get pancaked like that multiple times in We're this putting game, it on twitter that's for sure it's just yeah you're gonna get called out for it and look i respect the smack talk from anybody if you're gonna if you're trying to hype your team up anything like that but when you're coming at the coach that used to coach you, you're calling out your old team. When Gundy didn't even take a shot at you at all, right? The way Gundy said that, if you listened, if you listened yeah, to the whole media ability, he was not taking a shot at all. You're calling out your old offensive line. It's just a tough look when you get sat on your ass like that multiple times. I mean, you can keep going. I, I, the
1: floor is yours. It was, it was the perfect way for me to realize that that was over. Like the, the, the smack talking was over. I can't wait to tune into the sports animal on Thursday and hear them not ask about that. And to know that, yes, that happened. Everybody's embarrassed about it. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's another win inside of a great win.
0: Yeah. And uh, just to go through Josiah's stats, he had four catches, 13 yards on eight targets. He also, I mentioned this earlier, but he popped Canik a few times and it didn't look like he wanted to play anymore. (laughs) 10 yards after catch. I have PFF has him running a route on 72% of his snaps. I had that at 82% on true pass plays, which I mentioned earlier, 31 K this was the PFF snap count stat. I wanted to throw at you 31 snaps at inline tight end. That's 80% of his total snaps. That's the second most snaps and in, in percentage of snaps for him at inline tight end. He had more in K-State, but there's been games where he's only been 50% inline tight end, like West Virginia and KU. And 31 snaps is the overall total most in a game this season. I think that's something that Oklahoma State wanted to do with how much stacking of the box and how low they were playing some of their second and third level players in the box against oklahoma state so he's able to kind of get a chip block on these guys not not having to stay in to protect but at least get a body on them i think that's why he played so many snaps from that inline position and also when he was running his routes it makes some of those guys some of those defenders hesitate because they're probably wanting to stop the run but they've got to keep an eye on josiah running a route. And he's so
1: good at that. Like he's a big enough guy to where a shoulder from him is enough to prevent you from going any further and making an impact on the play. Like those are the little details that with him early on, it felt like we're missing. And we talked, I think it was after game one, like there was, you know, him getting on the sled and working all these things. Well, it has shown up like late in this season, his, you know, Ability to block in the run game, but additionally in this pass protection, like it has absolutely shown up. And again, I said it earlier, but I think he's been a major part of why Oklahoma State continues to have success, not just on the ground, but through the air as well.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I have him a couple times whipping on the GH counter pull block, but I think it's because he gets his hands out over his feet a little bit because he's trying to destroy people. So can't hate on him too much for that. He had the holding call. Which was actually on that cool split zone escort motion from Owens, but overall I think he had a really good game. Cassidy had a beautiful block on that first screen RPO that sprung Brennan Presley for the big game. He also destroyed Ford on a cut on a cut block. A couple times when he was in on those sweeps, he didn't look great. It's like he he needs to be blocking kind of in the box i think as opposed to being the guy trying to block out on the perimeter which they don't ask him to do a lot but when he's able to get a full head of steam on those iso blocks or something like that he can really use his body to destroy someone but when you get him moving he's not like the most agile guy out there no
1: but that escort motion is like my favorite play in the playbook right now i've told you that it's it's I would not want to be the DN or linebacker trying to come up into that hole.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. All right, let's finish up with Bowman before we move on to the defense. Man. 28 of 42, 67% completion percentage, 334 yards, no TDs, no interceptions, and I had him with zero turnover worthy plays. And after a game that I said may have been one of his worst of the season... He comes back out and has maybe his best game of the season where I thought he did one of the better jobs in this game. And, Kate, correct me if you think if you think differently at all, but this was one of the first games where I thought he did a good job of knowing when to leave the pocket, Yes, when to stay in the pocket. There was a throw in the fourth quarter, or second and 10, 10 minutes left in the fourth. Bowman went through every single progression, looked at both sides of the field, and then came back to Owens standing in the pocket the entire time. Yeah, he was masterful. I, I, the stat to me is zero turnover worthy
1: plays. You know, there's there was some talk, you know, does he throw the ball away too early? Does he leave the pocket too early? Some of that uh, I think you just have to live with if he's going to turn in a stat line like that. You know, the thing for him is that he can't, you know, follow this up by pressing this team. If he plays like that, this team is going to go really far. I mean, like, like as far as any team has ever gone for Oklahoma State before, if he just plays like that within himself, this offense around him is good enough. And I think the great thing about it is he knows that. So for me, like his leadership, his poise, I mean, in a game like this, you know how easy it would have been for him new to this rivalry to let the moment get the best of him. Not one time did it seem like he blinked. Not one time. And no, that is more than you could say from the quarterback on the other side that was getting Heisman buzz going into this game. He was the best quarterback on the field. And I don't think it was that close.
0: Yeah, I thought he was awesome. He looked so poised the entire game. 2.42 time to throw was pretty quick comparatively, just for some comparison. It wasn't his fastest game, but West Virginia, he was 2.8. Iowa State, 3.1. Cincy, 3.1. So he's had some games where he took longer, and I think that was the game plan to try to get the ball out of his hands quickly into these zone coverage beating route concepts. Josh Fields' jersey, game-worn Josh Fields' jersey after the game, so awesome. He also said it was the top game of his career. Cade, what would you think about both of those comments, or that, that comment in that jersey?
1: Well... I just want to know how he acquired that. And if you remember a few weeks ago, he mentioned that he had others. He said, wait till you see, like something to the effect of wait till you see what else we have. Like, is he going to wear like a Barry Sanders Jersey if they win the big 12? Like, is that what we're going to have?
0: Because oh, it's gonna be I don't so know what awesome. else,
1: but that was incredible. And, you know, again, what was, what was the second comment you wanted me to comment on? He said it was the top game of his entire career. Oh, I don't see how it wasn't. I mean, you know, when you look back at his stat lines, his injuries, the way the season started, I don't see any way that that wouldn't be the best game of his career. And in the moment, I mean, man, he was, I've said it for six games now. He is what Oklahoma State needs at quarterback. And I thought on Saturday, he was that and then some. He made some great throws, like C. Yeah.
0: And, you know, sometimes, you know, there was one throw he had was behind the receiver. I think it was LJ3 on a slant. He, because LJ3 didn't have the separation, he's throwing it behind him because the defender's in front of him. Right. So it looks like a bad throw, but it's, he's doing that on purpose. So I, Brent Venables even said he, Bowman made some great throws into some tight windows. I thought he did. He made some throws that maybe looked a little aggressive at times, but they were thrown where the defender couldn't get them accurately right to his guy. And and I loved it. I I love too. Cade Gundy interrupted his Bowman's media availability after the game to tell him that his tackle on Billy Bowman after the Ali Gordon interception was the play of the game.
1: I I was waiting to talk about it. It was, I thought Bowman was gone. I, I really did. And, and that would have been ultimately, I think pretty close to the game at that point. It was the play of the game. I thought it when it happened, I thought I said circle that one because we may come back to it. OU goes three and out. Oklahoma State goes back down the field 97 yeah, they yards. Punt and after scores. That. They punt. Oklahoma State goes 97 yards. And there's your ball game. It was the play of the game.
0: It it was it was awesome. Such a smart play by him. He also mentioned after the game that he's never lost to OU in the Bedlam series. So that that was a great comment. He talked about Ollie's throw too and said. He was like, we've set that play up. We set it up all year. We set it up in this game. He's like, I mean, Rashad was open. It was just a terrible throw. So I thought (laughs) they have been setting it up
1: all year. It's the, that's the frustrating part is that was
0: coming. Yeah. And then talking about OU scheme, this quote, Cade, he said, just kind of shows you that him and Dunn kind of understood what was happening. You take what the defense gives you. That is really always the way I was taught to play quarterback. They were giving us spits and throws early in the game. And that is what we went with. I had great protection and we were able to move the ball and get things accomplished, even with them ganging up to stop the run.
1: Yeah. I mean, as I sit back and like rewatch some of this, which I like to do when we're talking in case I missed anything, I just am, am struck by the team kind of rallies around him the same way they do around Ollie Gordon. Like they, they're coming off the field hitting him on the helmet and and the entire offensive line goes with him to celebrate the quarterback draw. Everybody meets him in the end zone on that. It's like, I, I just think they've got a pretty dynamic one, two combo at quarterback and running back right now.
0: Yeah. And speaking of taking what the defense gives you, I had OSU using some type of play action or post snap RPO action on 50% of their snaps. PFF had it at 48%. That's the highest percentage since Bowman took over. Wow. as a full-time starter. So they were really killing them early with that RPO game because there, was, there wasn't there was anybody even to read. With OU dropping back into zone, it was just wide open green grass for Bowman to throw to. It They probably weren't even true RPOs. It was basically like a pre-snap green grass read. But they went with snag, stick, some outgo, that bluff screen I talked about, different variations of concepts. They had the levels rollout concepts. BP as the outside receiver. I thought they did a good job of mixing things up in this game, especially with OU playing a lot of zone in the first half, some of their cover two looks. And then they went to more man in the second half and OSU went to some different things. Then they were kind of bobbing and weaving with OU was doing like, kind of like what I talked about with the run game. But But I loved it. They even had a kid, they had a backside RPO where Bowman actually turns his back the throw side so he's reading it pre-snap he's reading the linebacker to see if he's going to break out into the flat when he sees him not break he whips his body around and threw the slant to owens which i i loved that play you don't see that a lot it's kind of a kind of a dangerous throw but it's more like a play action than a true rpo because kind of a pre-snap read but I, I loved the scheme i loved how bowman was operating uh, they have him blitzed, PFF has him as blitzed 38% of the time, and like I talked about, only under pressure on 14% of his drop backs. Oh, here, I had it here. It's the second lowest pressure rate on Bowman in Big 12 play. He attempted five passes 20-plus yards down the field and only completed one of them. But it, OU was dropping two safeties back yep. late, deep, so they were trying to take away the deep shot while also playing the run early. But again, you know, I talked about that fourth quarter RPO throw to Leon Johnson. And you look at his, what, 14 incompletions. He had five throwaways, he had a Hail Mary, and he had the drop from Owens. That's seven right there. So he really only had true, truly seven passes that you could count as bad throws. And then one of those was that sit route I talked about to Owens, the LJ3 deep ball where he was getting held. I don't think he had very many inaccurate throws in this game. Besides that, Leon Johnson throwing the end zone you talked about. He threw one high to BP late in the second quarter. He overthrew LJ3 on a deep ball early when LJ3 actually did have separation. Those three throws might have been the only three bad throws of the game. And it's like they're not that – I mean, they're – you can live with them,
1: right? Like you forget about them when you win a game and you don't turn the ball over. Like it's so easy to to look past those, as opposed to what we're used to uh, in Stillwater over the last several years, not the dog Spencer Sanders again, but it's just like, it is so stark when you look back at that versus what this is. I think you just have to live with it and know that, you know, you're going to operate really well within the twenties, throwing it, running it. And Ollie is how you're going to try to score in the red zone. Yeah,
0: Cade, I'll end it with this. If you don't have anything else. Two interceptions during this five-game winning streak for <laughs> Bowman.
1: Wow. You could have convinced me that it was zero, but that's that's um, pretty spectacular. What were they? West Virginia and... and it's okay. I, I put you right on the spot. He threw
0: one re- on against K-State too, right?
1: He might... He might have. I I just can't remember. He's played so well that they 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 definitely don't pop into my mind. So I have,
0: I have it. I have it right here on PFF. I just I was switching over to the defense to get ready for that. But I I have it right. Our, here. our
1: listeners are screaming in their car.
0: It was it was K State. It was uh no sorry it was Cincinnati. One Cincinnati. One West Virginia.
1: Yeah. Well, regardless, I was wrong. You know, to wrap to wrap it up on Alan Bowman to step into your first bedlam in that scenario, it's not just any bedlam. To do what he did is, I mean, is a legendary performance. I I, I don't use that word lightly, but I think it was there. He did what most Oklahoma State quarterbacks have never done, and that was beat Oklahoma. But you beat him that way in that setting. Um, That's the real deal stuff. That's the stuff that you can win championships with a quarterback that has that type of poise and mentality
0: yeah it was awesome it was it was awesome to watch great game from bowman
1: yeah well dustin let's go ahead and take a quick break here from a couple of our sponsors we'll get back and we'll talk about the defense we want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the feels like 45 podcast classic overland Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience and in addition if you purchase a classic overland defender and mention this podcast the feels like 45 podcast their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the pokes with a purpose nil collective to learn more you can visit their website classicoverland.com and you can contact luke and robert at robert at classicoverland.com thank you go pokes Let's take a moment also to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. So shop today at www.charliehustle.com and when you do use our promo code 101215 which is good for 15% off all non-sale items. Dustin I'm wearing mine, JC Hoyt was wearing hers in Boone Pickens Stadium this weekend. Check oh, out our friends awesome. at charliehustle.com they do a great job. Well, Dustin, let's jump right back into it. I felt like I needed some music behind that ad read. I was thinking we're never getting back together by Taylor Swift. That was kind of what I was wondering. I'll send that to Charlie Hustle next week, see if they're cool with that. But we talked a lot about the offense, which deserved a ton of credit. You cannot talk about this game without talking about Brian Nardo and the Oklahoma State defense. This young secondary that I was told was going to get exposed all week that we were concerned was going to have issues. A defensive line, a a linebacker core, Dustin, a phenomenal game all around from this Oklahoma State defense. It wasn't perfect, but it was what they needed to get the job done. And it was better than even I expected.
0: Yeah, Cade, this is the, this is what we wanted from the 3-3-5 defense. This was like the perfect 3-3-5 defense game. no OU to 24 points, their second lowest scoring total of the season. Three points in the fourth quarter were great on fourth down and 0-2 on fourth down OU. So Oklahoma State has like the best fourth down defense, I believe, in the country now, statistics-wise. It was just an all-around... Stolid performance from the defense. You saw the big names step up at times, Nicholas Martin. You saw Xavier Benson with a great game. The young guys who you mentioned, Cam Epps, Dylan Smith, who I said on last week's pod, maybe you don't play in this game after giving him some run just because of the bust he's given up. Well, he certainly showed me, and I was definitely wrong there. He still had a few busts, but none of them were major, and he made some huge plays, multiple huge plays. It was just an all around solid performance, not a dominant performance, not the best defensive performance we've seen in recent Oklahoma state history, but it was good enough to get the job done and they came up big at the biggest moments.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that right there is what was missing in Derek Mason's defense that was present in Jim Knowles was that clutch factor. And our buddy Adam Lunt threw out a phenomenal, you know, breakdown of that. I'm not going to steal his thunder. You can go to his Twitter and look at that. But Oklahoma State over the last several years defensively has been clutch late. They've been clutch on fourth down this season. I think it's something like opponents have converted three out of 17 fourth downs against Oklahoma state
0: is what I'm seeing here.
1: Yeah. Three of 16, which is, (laughs) I don't even know really how that's possible. Oklahoma state uh, second in the nation in that category, but it's timely. They're forcing turnovers, uh, especially when they get the crowd involved, they force a bunch of turnovers apparently, and Dustin, I mean, for me, I think you you can't talk about this game without circling Dylan Smith, not to like start there, but it's like, for me, he was the guy we talked about. He was the guy that I was getting asked about all week at the tailgate in the stands. And he was fantastic. And it was just a sight to see. It was almost like the Cam Smith, Texas game last year. This was the Dylan Smith coming out party in his own right. So I just, you know, I start with him because it was just an incredible story.
0: Yeah. And coach Nardo talked about when he was asked after the game about this defense, being able to com- compete in this new scheme with these young players. And he just said confidence in this defense is through the roof. Yep. Even when they had the two losses early in the season, even after the South Alabama game, he talked about to your point, having to move guys position. He talked about, having to move Trey Rucker to Lyric Rawls position and Cam Epps in at the field safety spot in terms of Dylan Smith. He talked about having to move him during the season to a new position. They made it right after the ISU game. They decided to make the switch for him. He talked about him having such a bright future. So the fact that they've had to deal with not only a brand new defensive coordinator, a brand new scheme, Moving guys around positions mid-season, and they're still able to come up with these big stops in key moments is just incredible.
1: Yeah, that, I, I think that's the the biggest thing for me is I don't think they're the most talented defense. Defensive line has had issues. Linebackers, even as good as they've been, they're gelling, but they're not they're not an elite unit yet. But they are playing together. And they are making timely plays. And to me, it's like, that's the characteristic of the defenses that Oklahoma State has had in their best seasons. Some of them, you know, 2021 notwithstanding, that was an elite defensive unit, all three levels, elite. But every other good season that Oklahoma State has had, good to great season, they've had a defense that overcame a lack of talent with timely turnovers, timely stops, and making big plays in big moments, and it would appear that Oklahoma State has another defense like that.
0: Yeah, and okay, just to kind of get into the scheme part before we go into individual players, I will say we've been making fun of the jet sweep comment, but you could tell that OU did not want to run it into the middle of this Oklahoma State defense, where Justin Kirkland, Colin Clay, and Nick Martin sit and wait for you. They were running to the perimeter PFF actually shows that, and this, this may not, I didn't go back and actually verify this stat, but they show them with no yards from Gavin Sawchuck or Tywee Walker in between the guards in the, in the a gap, they basically got everything on the perimeter and Nardo mentioned they were having some success with pin and pull. What I saw in on multiple of Sawchuck's big runs, Tywee Walker had one on a GT counter but the buck sweep, yeah, where we talked about this when Sean Gleason was with Oklahoma State. I wrote about it for pistols firing. Basically, you pull the play side and the backside guard and have them lead block for the running back around the edge on the perimeter. And what they were doing with that is instead of allowing Kirkland and Goodlow to eat up double teams and Martin and Oliver to flow freely, they were getting their big guys out on the perimeter with straight shots at Oliver and Martin, and then when Kendall Daniels or Trey Rucker or somebody takes just a slightly bad angle, that's when you get the big 64-yard run. Satchik had another 15-yard run on a buck sweep. It was just, I I think it was a smart call from OU, and Oklahoma State adjusted to it as the game went on. Then you see OU go to more GT counter. Yeah, and then Oklahoma State blows that up. (laughs) And then they blew that up by using, because that one, you know, is a little bit more interior takes a little bit longer. Cause you've got two backside guys pulling and that's when Kirkland and clay both did a good job of penetrating and allowing good low when Kirkland did it and Xavier Ross, when clay did it to make big tackles. So it, it was fun to watch it, it. This game felt like a chess chess match the entire time, but that's kind of what I saw from OU Gundy said they really wanted to stop OU's perimeter run game. They didn't. So they kept, you know, some cover two, some late bails from their corners, keeping them out there. And OU tried to bounce back with that by getting their offensive linemen out on the perimeter and some of these pin and pull type sweeps, as Nardo mentioned. I still had Oklahoma State missing a few tackles, and a lot of them were for their third level players. I had Daniels with quite a few. I had 13. I think PFF shows 16. So I had a, a few fewer than that. What I did notice, Cade, and I wanted to get your thoughts kind of on this again. They did not play a ton of straight-up true zero-tech nose guard odd front in this game. They moved the nose all around, which we saw them do a little bit against Cincinnati, but even more so in this game. And they also moved Colin Oliver all around, not just on the line of scrimmage, but... He's normally the will, the weak side linebacker. They had him lined up to the field side or the strong side on several occasions, which I don't think they've done very much this year unless he's been you know, on the line of scrimmage in that scenario. But he was back in more of a true linebacker spot. So they definitely showed some new looks to this OU defense. And along with that, PFFs has, this is the first time all season that the nose tackles Clay and Kirkland Played more snaps as BGP, which is their defensive tackle B gap, than AGP, A gap, or zero tech, or shaded nose, nose tackles in this game. So they played more as like a true defensive tackle in this game than any other game this season.
1: Which is really interesting because, like, that's it. I would, I wonder, I'll ask you this, Dustin, is that a clear adjustment to what Oklahoma State thinks? thinks is coming in a GT counter, which is a staple of OU's running game. Like that would be, in my opinion, why you do that.
0: Yeah. You got to make Andrew Rame work a little bit more on his down blocks. He can't just grab onto the center right in front of him. There's, you know, a couple of different things that make, it makes it different for the offensive line. They're not able to just get a set aiming point every time because you saw, you know, sometimes they were going true nose and they were having both defensive tackles lined up on the outside shoulder of the tackle. And then sometimes they went with the true Iowa State tight front. So it was a lot of mix and match from the defensive line in this game. And they even threw some pressures. They had Gabriel Blitz 28% of the time. I had nine pressures with five or more pass rushers. Gabriel is under pressure on 30% of his dropbacks, which is pretty good. I mean, compared to the 14% that Bowman was under pressure. They also played a ton of man coverage in this game early Cade. They mixed in some cover two, some cover three, and a little bit of what looked like quarters to me. But I think that man coverage was basically saying, beat us. We don't think your receivers can beat us. And I do think Farouk made some plays. Stoops obviously made some plays. But they also had some drops. They also struggled to get separation at times. And Oklahoma State's defensive backs made plays. So I kind of liked this game plan overall. This is I know you and I have questioned some of Nardo's earlier season game plans at times. This is one I I really liked. Yeah, I mean, I I also
1: thought that oh, OU multiple times benefited from some some nice scheme. Like there was that deep uh scissors that they ran in the first quarter. Oh. Rucker and Epps crashed into each other. Yeah, and that was man coverage. And then they tried to go to a shallow mesh in the fourth quarter, where um, I think it was Anderson smashed into DJ McKinney on accident, drew the offensive pass interference. But Oklahoma was trying to put a young secondary like in those like borderline collision, uh, you know, type of situations a lot of the day, and additionally. I think Oklahoma State was willing to let Drake Stoops, you know, gobble up 10, 15 yards on on first down. They didn't want to give up the, you know, the long chunk plays. They only gave up really one deep throw. They got lucky on a drop in the first quarter from Jaleel Farouk on a great throw from Dylan Gabriel, but outside of that, if you would have told me that I don't even know how many yards uh, Drake Stoops had But if you would have told me that they completed one downfield pass, like one vertical downfield pass over 40 yards, I would have taken that.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree. And you're right. I mean, obviously, OU did a good job scheming up some pick-and-rub concepts once they saw Oklahoma State was going to play a lot of man. Very smart from them. And you're also right about the scheming things up, that kind of motion across the formation and then little – pitch toss that Gabriel was doing to Farouk multiple times. It it didn't work every time, but that's kind of a play on the jet sweep. We talked about that's something I hadn't seen on film a bunch from them having stoops at running back when they knew Oklahoma state was going to use man coverage in the red zone and him being wide open for that touchdown that, I mean, I, I don't think anybody in that secondary knew that was stoops back there at running back. So you, you just don't expect them to have that kind of speed and route running ability out of the backfield. So they definitely did scheme some things up, but it kind of felt like that's what they were having to do outside of some of the buck sweep and GT counter runs. It didn't feel like Oklahoma was able to go to their base concepts to gain any yards. They were having to kind of scheme things up to, to kind of get busts. And like I said, have the have Oklahoma state's guys run into each other and, Bust a big play.
1: Yeah. I I just overall thought Oklahoma State, you know, didn't give up too much. They didn't even really felt like give up more than they had to. I thought they tackled well. Um, and again, if Drake Stoops is your leading receiver, and that was the case going into the game I would have taken that. I thought that the way you lose this is if a Nick Anderson goes for 120 and a, and a pair of touchdowns or something like that. That was what I thought Oklahoma State would struggle
0: with. Yeah, and then you know you look at the 5.5 yards per carry, but if you add back in the sack yards, I even took out the fumble yards for him. You've got 22 carries for 101 yards if you minus out that 164 yard run. That's 4.6 yards per carry solid, but again, not 5.5. If you take out saw 64 yard run from him alone, he only rushed for 3.9 yards per carry. If you take that run out. So it's not like they just got obliterated in the run game or anything like that. So I thought it was overall kind of solid. And, and Kate, if you're ready, uh, I think we can move on to the defensive line. Yeah, let's go ahead. Good low. And again, I'm going to probably mention this comment with most of these guys on defense. Good got banged up at some point in this game. He had three tackles. He had the sack. I thought he was solid when he was out there. He obviously looked a little banged up when he came back in, but the first play, it just goes to show his hustle that we continue to talk about. He helped make the tackle on the throw out the stoops in the flat. Yep. He ran out there and helped make the tackle from defensive end. So I thought he had a solid game. I thought he was really good. Cody Walterscheid. He is one of the most confusing players to watch. It's so inconsistent. He will get completely washed three or four runs in a row. Then he'll recover a fumble like he did in this game. Third time in his career. He also got banged up. Then he has the chase down tackle in the third quarter on third and 10 with like five minutes left. That might've saved a touchdown run. It's just, I, I think it added to some of the run game woes on plays when he was out there because I don't think he did a great job of causing havoc. But then every now and then he makes a big play and kind of makes up for those bad plays that he had a couple of plays early. Is that
1: not like what his brother did too? I mean, yeah, like yeah, it kinda, exactly. They, you could convince me that uh, his brother is out there in that uniform, the way they play, the plays they make. <laughs> It's um, such a good call. It's just it's very familiar to me, and I think there's a place for that on this team. I mean, you know, Walter Shide, uh, you know, for he's kind of the perfect, you know, embodiment of of what I'm talking about on this defensive side. Is like, you know, they're not overly talented, and I'm not not I'm not saying Oklahoma State's not a talented defense. I think they have talent all over the field, but he is, you know. Kind of a conundrum, but he makes big plays, and there is a space
0: for that on this defense. Yeah, I agree. I, who I did think had a great game, who we've kind of talked, uh, critiqued re- in recent weeks, Nathan Latou. I knew it. I thought he was really good in both the run and the pass. He ended up coming in on the play. Walterscheid got banged up second and eight, comes in and he makes a great play on the run. He had a pressure on a third and 15 throw to Stogner where Nick Martin makes the tackle at the end of it, the clip you sent me. He had a great pressure there. He had a couple other really good pressures. I thought Latou, big time bounce back game for him after a couple of good games early in the year, then kind of falling off and coming back.
1: He was really good. When you started talking, I, I knew you were going with Latou because he was active and I think helped guys like Justin Kirkland make an impact in some of the passing uh in some of the pass rush they were able to
0: generate. Yeah, that's a good call. That's actually a really good call because we'll get to them in a little bit, but they made some great – the nose tackles made some good plays in the past game. Xavier Ross, he had a hurry. He had the tackle for loss. I thought he had some good pass rush snaps. And then I talked about it already earlier, but that where Clay had the penetration, he makes that tackle for loss. Third quarter, about 9.50 left. That play was awesome.
1: Yeah, 100%. They, I thought the defensive line, by and large, gave up – A couple of chunk plays that they didn't have to, but they were really good in this game.
0: Yeah, and then Deshaun Brown also got banged up. He had a great rush on the Benson sack. He had two guys try to block him. I clipped it. Neither one could. I thought he was good in his snaps, but he didn't play very much because I don't think he came back in after he got banged up. I only have him on 12 snaps. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: I, I don't think I noticed
0: that. Yeah, so that was tough. I hope he's able to come back. But moving on to who you mentioned a second ago, Justin Kirkland, his most <laughs> snaps all season. He was awesome. This yeah. was his best game in his most snaps. Kate, it almost felt like they were saving him for OU. I
1: feel like this was the there it is game for him. You know, it's like we've been talking about it, and he kind of fell. Not off the radar a little bit, but the way we were talking about him in the preseason was like, this guy's going to come in and light it up. This was the, oh, that's what we were talking about game. And I I just have to wonder if like, is that a scheme thing? Is that a mismatch thing? Is that a Justin Kirkland was fired up thing? I don't know, but I just feel like it bodes well that he can put a game like that under his belt going forward.
0: The second play of the game, Cade, he almost got to Gabriel on a pass yep. rush. Yep, and that's and in the stadium, I was even like, "Oh, Justin Kirkland is amped up." He <laughs> even had some stats. He had, according to PFF, two hurries. That you know their hurries are counted a little bit differently than like the ESPN hurries. He had a tackle. He had the QB hit. So he was absolutely awesome. He almost got to Gabriel again on a first and ten early in the second half. He got into it with an OU fan on Twitter about <laughs> him faking his he injury. Did. He said, nope, you guys were just running tempo and I'm 340 pounds. So it took me a little bit to get up. <laughs> so I, lo- I absolutely love that. His quotes, he was one of the guys I talked to after practice the other day. And He said, they were asking about UCF and he said, I like when teams are run heavy. Try to run on us. Yeah, I I do too. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to break that game down because I have a take. Yeah, he. Uh, it was his first FBS start. So ever this was the first game he started because he was at Utah Tech last year. His penetration on first and 10 after the it was right after the big saw check 15 yard run on the buck sweep he penetrated was able to Goodlow just had to, he took a up like three guys so Goodlow was able to make the tackle thought he was awesome and then Colin Clay he had one hurry. he played his fewest snaps of the season. But even in those few snaps, he made an impact. I talked about the play with the Ross tackle, and then he had the hurry. So I thought he was good in limited snaps.
1: Yeah. I, again, I I thought that that defensive line was was really good, really active. You had to have it.
0: Onto the linebackers. I think we got to start with Benson. He was incredible in this scale game of his
1: career, hands down.
0: Seven tackles, three tackles for loss, one hurry, one sack one forced fumble, showed up to his media availability after the game in sunglasses and a cowboy hat. He's just incredible. Coach Nardo said when asked about him after the game that he's the toughest, most unselfish, most loyal football player he's ever coached. Wow. He doesn't care about making the tackle. He'll take on three blockers to let somebody else make the tackle. And he said the first time he met Xavier Benson, Xavier Benson came up to him and goes, Coach, I know we don't know each other yet, but I just want you to know I got your back.
1: Wow. That's fantastic. He was in the tunnel and they caught him on camera and he looked at the camera and he said, I'm a bad man. And I think for the first time I caught a glimpse of that. And I thought, man, I think you're more than a bad man. He was, he was all over the field on Saturday. I mean, Dusty Dvorak called it out multiple times in the broadcast. Cause you couldn't watch that game without noticing Xavier Benson. And I, I just, what I love about him is his attitude. He waved goodbye to OU on that fourth down stop at the end of the game. I just, I, I wouldn't want to play against him, man. I And for, he gets circled in our recap a lot because he's been playing in that kind of odd position and it does back up what you were saying about, you know, Brian Nardo calling him out as unselfish, like that, you kind of can see that in the tape, some of the plays he makes, but this game, he popped, he was all over the place. Oklahoma state doesn't win that game without him. I don't think.
0: And he's the reason Cade, why I don't think you run jet sweeps. You see what happens on the swing passes first Couldn't down block him. middle of the second quarter after the issue field goal, throw out to Farouk on the swing pass. Benson absolutely owns Stogner and makes the tackle Then third and eight in the second quarter, exact same play. He owns Stogner again and makes the tackle. Like we talked about the sack. We talked about the the fumble, the forced fumble. He was just all over the field. I think I only had him with one missed tackle. He was absolutely incredible. And when you try to run to the perimeter on the field side, the wide side, you're going to have to deal with Xavier Benson. This is something that you called out as his strength in the off season, when we were talking him up that's what he's good at that's why that take kind of blew my mind from some of the podcasts that we listen to because if you run that to the field you are going to get run down by yeah. Xavier Benson and speaking of Stogner Cade he was garbage he was in bad. this game is he always that bad no, he, didn't he look wasn't that bad to me in the games I watched this year for OU.
1: He wasn't that bad this early this year, and he was. I felt like much better than that in Lincoln Riley system. Up though, right? Yeah, but I I feel like that maybe a scheme thing. Like this is not the same Lincoln Riley offense. They would split him out, use him as a receiver. I, I don't know. They're trying to do a little too much with him. I think because he can't he can't block air.
0: Yeah, it was it was almost sad to watch. But man, I I. I don't have much else on Benson besides what how we just gushed over him. Yeah, I, I don't either. Just to do Oliver real quick before we get to Martin, he didn't pop a ton in this game. He was really, really struggling with the linemen coming at him with speed on GT counter in the buck sweep. He got pretty much destroyed at that weak side linebacker spot on, I think, two buck sweeps and maybe three GT counters. So that's five of OU's big run plays. He got pretty much completely taken out of the play. I didn't think it was a terrible game from him. Those negatives just popped because they were like on every single one of OU's big runs with those pulling linemen.
1: Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. You know, I still don't know how comfortable he is out there in those situations. He's just a tweener. And I I think you're just going to have to know that that's coming with him.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think it's something that's hard for anybody to do. With OU's linemen are solid, but he almost had the sack in the fourth quarter. I thought he had some good pass rush, rush snaps where he was almost there on Dylan Gabriel. And you know, more times than not, he's going to get there. We'll we'll continue to see him get sacks this year, I believe. So he had the four tackles. He had the QB hit. I thought it was a a decent game from him. I didn't think he was good by any means compared to Benson or Martin, but I didn't think he was terrible. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think so either. Nick Martin, nine tackles. He literally almost killed Dylan Gabriel twice. He had two QB hits that made me think Gabriel wasn't getting back up. Gabriel's very tough for getting back up. I only had him with one missed tackle, three QB hurries. So... He led the team with nine tackles and six solos, so that's ex- extends his streak to five straight games with nine or more tackles. He had a hit, that hit that you sent me on Stogner on the third and fifteen. <laughs> he, I mean that that just added to Stogner's terrible game. But it was a he flew. I don't even know where Martin came from.
1: He <laughs> he had another scream running play. I, I've made the joke, but he is so fast when he gets a a free run at somebody going out to the perimeter. He is so fast. It's unbelievable. And I think it makes up for some of his lack of size on the interior when he can get washed. Sometimes those are the plays that that show up and it's like, Oh, well that's, that's Nick Martin. And by the way, do you see he wasn't included on the butt kiss award? Uh, finalist yeah. list.
0: That's my next note on here.
1: That's we don't cuss on this podcast, but, that's bullshit. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's terrible.
0: No, it, it really is. I don't know how you leave him off. That makes absolutely no sense to me. He's been incredible. He's going to win year.
1: conference defensive player of the year. If if yeah. the voters pay attention and don't vote for the logo, he will win defensive player of the year.
0: Right. It, it makes no sense. And Speaking of that, we forgot to mention that Benson won conference player of the week on the defensive side this week. Deservedly well, so. so. Yeah, it was absolutely awesome, but... Martin, also the play on third and five at the beginning of the fourth quarter was awesome. He did have the big hit when Gabriel kept it in the fourth quarter. I think like he got a little bit banged up on that play, but he stayed in, so I obviously think he's fine. But, man, he, he was really good again. And I thought with him and Benson combined, it showed that Oklahoma State has a truly solid linebacker core.
1: Yeah, I I – not much more you could ask for from that group and again i think they play so well together as a unit that even when you know you you have a guy struggling that's why i have a lot of confidence in this game against central florida i think you're going to have you know a a unit that generally plays really really well
0: all right moving on to the dbs let's start with the smith brothers we can hit cam first i thought he was really good in coverage two pass breakups. He had the breakup on third and seven in the early second quarter on a pass to Farouk. He got lost on a third quarter crosser to Anderson, but then he had a great play on the play where I talk about Martin got a little bit banged up or Gabriel kept it. He finished that tackle. He had great coverage on a fourth quarter deep ball to Anderson, then great coverage on the very next play on a crosser. And then Stoops, the fourth quarter into the game, him uh dylan was over there cam had great coverage on that that play as well i thought cam was really good like i called out the two plays he gave up but he had what five plays to make up for it
1: yeah that that play he had made on Julio farouk on that third down that coverage in the first quarter was um elite i would say he was he was yeah. outstanding i thought
0: He's been really good this year. And I know he's been banged up at times. I know he's splitting reps with McKinney, but I think he's been solid in the game. He's been yeah, out. I, I think we've think. only had like one negative game that we've talked about him negatively on. His brother, though, Dylan Smith, he already has two picks this year. I was very wrong. He definitely should have played in this game. I talked about Nardo saying he has a bright future. Coach Gundy said he had a he has a very high football IQ. For Coach Gundy to say that about a young player is pretty incredible, I think. He had a great tackle coming out of the half on the swing pass to Stoops. He did have one missed tackle I had him down for on Stoops on second and six with like 10 minutes left in the third quarter. And he gave Stoops a little too much cushion on a throw in the fourth quarter, but then he ended the game on Stoops. Yep. Yep. So, and you can, you know, you can call out that non-called defensive pass interference, but he had really good coverage on that play as well. If you're getting these... Big, And I know we've seen bust from them at times, but these big-time games that are showing up for both Smith and Epps, it just has to make you so optimistic for the future with these guys because they're going to clean up the mistakes, but the ceiling's only going to get higher. Oh, uh,
1: that's the thing.
0: Yeah, it's just incredible to see these two super young guys, redshirt freshmen, true freshmen, playing – big time snaps and big time games at the safety spots for Oklahoma State.
1: Yeah, I I love the way you just kind of capped that because it's it's the sentiment I have going into this. Like I don't think that they are elite by any means, but they are getting better every game. Their last bad game was Kansas and every game since then they have improved and improved and improved. And Dylan Smith, his improvement is a major part of that. And again, I, I started with him and he's he's a good one. I know we're not ending on him, but he's he's the you know focal point for player development in this scheme in the season. And these snaps that he's getting, they're winning games and he's getting valuable experience. And going into next season, Dustin. He's going to end up being – if if this holds, he's going to end up being a guy that you're going to circle as like, you're glad he's back because he's he's going to end up being a great player.
0: Oh, definitely. It's, it's just so much fun to watch these young guys thrive. And again, I didn't even take – I should have taken my own advice on Cam Epps earlier in the season. I said he's going to have bad games. I should have done the same thing for Dylan Smith, but I didn't listen to myself. I said he shouldn't play, and then he comes out and has a big game – in bedlam so shout out to dylan smith he was awesome moving on to Kendall daniels cade it's kind of a rough game for him i had him leading the team in missed tackles he did have four tackles i think my problem with him in this game kind of my like just general take is he looked again as he has sometimes this season a little hesitant and there was a play in second and four with four minutes left in the third quarter. Toey Walker's running the ball. And instead of stepping up and making the tackle and laying a big hit, he catches Walker and Walker falls over him for a first down. And that kind of encapsulated how I thought Daniels played in this game.
1: Yeah. He, I just, I don't know with, with him this year, I, I I don't know if he's uncomfortable in that role, but it has very much been it's it's been more inconsistent than even like a Colin Oliver who's who's embracing a new role. And I you hope it gets better, you know, long term, but you're nine games into the season. I think you know what's what you have back there.
0: Yeah. I mean, on the after the Ollie pick, he had a missed tackle on the first down play by OU and then a miss tackle on the very next play. And it it was just a little tough to watch. He was getting... OU was doing some stuff where they were sending Stoops in motion and having him crack back on whoever the low safety was. And a lot of times that was Daniels. So he was getting this, which I don't think they've shown a ton on film, this blocker coming from a weird angle on him, which I think was messing him up a bit. But man, he... I, I didn't have really... A ton of positives from him him in this game in my notes.
1: It's a bummer, but I, I would agree. All
0: right, moving on to the other safeties, Epps, four tackles. This was his least snaps in a game since the South Alabama game. We talked about the play where him and Rucker smashed into each other on the scissors, which led to the huge play. There was a post route completed on him in the middle of the second quarter but he was there. Rucker actually was almost there for a pick on that play too. He made a couple of good tackles in the flats on stoops. I didn't think it was a terrible game. Not a ton of snaps to evaluate from him. I think I only have him at 22 snaps total in this game, but not, not amazing, not terrible.
1: Yeah. I, again, I think you take not amazing, not terrible uh, out of the guy that's being thrown in the fire here. Lyric Rawls was supposed to be there.
0: Yeah, moving on to Rucker, he made a lot of tackles, nine tackles. He had some good coverage snaps. A lot of his tackles uh, are a few of them saved, I think, big plays. So I I like that he was there. He had an awesome tackle on OU's backup running back. Smothers took a swing pass with nine minutes left in the third quarter, and Rucker just destroyed him. He had the defensive pass interference, but that was declined because somehow that pass was caught, which was insane to me. But I, I thought Rucker had a pretty pretty solid game. He's just he's just a good tackler.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's what we've seen all year. It's um it's tackling and the issue is going to be in coverage, but oh, you didn't put him in a whole lot of comp uh uh compromising situations.
0: Yeah, no, you're hundred percent correct on that. Corey Black, I thought he was awesome. He had the one pass breakup, he had the huge hit on stoops in the third quarter, which is another play I want to have on a loop. Freeman dropped a slant on him where Black was a little bit behind him on coverage, but he was able to catch up right before the the drop or should have been catch, and he hit Freeman basically right as he dropped it, which wouldn't have been a big gain even if he caught it. He was all over Farouk on a slant, but somehow Farouk caught it. It was a really good throw by Gabriel. There's a second and seven in the late second quarter where he had good coverage on Farouk on a go ball, and then he had great coverage on the fourth quarter slant by Farouk. Just kind of goes to show why teams do not want to throw it black. Even if you complete it, he's right there. You're not normally going to bust a big play on him.
1: Yeah. it And continues to set the tone on the perimeter. You put your best corner on your best receiver. I think most of the time he's going to win that battle.
0: I completely agree. DJ McKinney. He had a great play in the middle of the second quarter where he blasted through Nick Anderson's block and made a tackle on a stoop screen, which was pretty awesome to see from a cornerback. Third and 12 in the second quarter, I thought he gave a little bit too much cushion on the curl. Martin saved him with a big tackle there. He gave up the third down. He got burned by Anderson in the late second quarter, but Anderson dropped that deep ball, so that was big time. And then McKinney actually, I didn't notice this until like the second quarter, Replay of the game I watched, he got banged up late in the third quarter, and and I think he came back in.
1: Smashed by uh, Farouk again on that, or uh, by? Oh, did he come back in? I thought he did come back in. Okay, so he
0: did come back in. Okay, I might have I might have miswrote that note.
1: Well, let me I'll I'll double check that. I'll tweet it if I'm if I was wrong.
0: And then the last notes I have are kill Smith only 19 snaps snaps I thought he was pretty good in them he slipped and you could see it on the replay he literally slipped to give up a third and 13 to stoops when it looked like he might have been in like cover three coverage with 8 30 left in the third quarter he he was breaking to where he would have been there on time he literally just slipped and fell like completely on his face so that was tough but I thought he was fine in his snaps yeah
1: overall though Dustin I mean the, the defensive backs were not perfect but they were what you needed. And they were the focal point. Like if you listen to podcasts and local radio previewing it, it was, they were getting trashed all week. And I think by and large, they, they backed up what, you know, what they were hearing.
0: Yeah. Uh, A couple quick notes on special teams before we move to UCF, which will probably be very abbreviated with how (laughs) long we went. Alex Hale nailed his 19th and 20th field goals of the season on Saturday elevating him to a tie for seventh most by a Cowboy in a single season. His 26 attempts are now also tied for seventh most by a Cowboy in a single season. So that's pretty awesome. Hudson Cox first punt was unreal. How did that so ball good. not go in the end zone?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Great coverage. Great punt coverage.
0: Yeah, great punt coverage. Jeff Robertson had a huge hit on the early second quarter kickoff, which I thought kind of kept some momentum going from the crowd, which was cool. Ward, some of his kicks were short. Some were 10 yards out of the back of the end zone. So I still sometimes think he may be getting told to kick some of them in certain spots, kind of place kicking it because when he puts his full leg into the ball, it's blasted. So I, he, he's a great kickoff kicker. Ty Williams with the hold on the kickoff and we stop with the special teams penalties they're going to Yeah, they're, they're going to kill this Yeah. Uh Hudson Cack, cock, I know, I always say it wrong. I believe it's Cock, pronounced Cock, but he had the rugby punt that almost got Parker Robertson another fumble recovery.
1: Uh I know. I know. He's That was pretty I, awesome. Could you if you were given five tries, how many of those do you catch? Zero. Yeah, I think it's zero for me
0: too. Yeah, you could probably give me 20. It's probably still zero. <laughs> uh BP had a decent punt return. Ethan Downs hit him out of bounds, which I don't see a lot of OU fans talking about that play, but his whole body and feet were out of bounds when Downs hit him. I stopped it and uh kind of stepped through that play. So that was one. But uh and then fourth quarter punt. All, Nixon almost down that at the one. It wasn't his fault. It would have been an incredible play if he did it. If that gets down at the one. That's probably game over. Yeah, you wouldn't. I would even agree. There the was rest. a safety
1: or a fumble out of the back of the end zone coming right there.
0: With how loud the student section was going to be there, yeah, that would have been game over. But man, Kate that's that's all I've got.
1: Well, what a what a way to cap that, Dustin. I mean, I, easily our longest recap, but the game deserved it, and I I have nothing more to say. Other than I was exhausted after the game, I'm exhausted now, but it's the perfect kind. Like I just, it was a unbelievable game in Stillwater. However, a challenge awaits them, and it's a challenge in that the environment, the the uh, coming off the the emotional high of that game. I think that that's the biggest challenge that they face this week is simply getting ready for Central Florida. And Dustin, if we're ready to get right into Central Florida, I can lead us there. Because as you look at these two teams, it's a little bit similar to what Oklahoma State was experiencing as they went into the Oklahoma game. You have two teams in trending in total opposite directions. Oklahoma State has won their last five. UCF has won one out of their last five, but it was their last game. They picked up their first conference win against Cincinnati, a team that Oklahoma State recently took to the woodshed. And Dustin, you know, as you look at this Central Florida team, I think they're probably hungry to to feed off of what they were able to do against Cincinnati on the road. But when you look at them, they haven't scored over 30 points in in each of their last four games. Um, They are giving up yards in bunches on the ground. Pretty much everybody that's played them uh, has ran for a number that starts with a two or a three. And Dustin, they're experiencing some turnover issues at the quarterback spot. And so to me, you know, as I look at them, they've got really good skill talent. I think that they're going to bring a challenge on the perimeter that Oklahoma State didn't see last weekend. I think that they're going to see a running game that Oklahoma State didn't see last weekend. But I think that where Oklahoma State wins this game is defensively.
0: So when you look at them, what what do you see? Yeah, Kata, it's a great breakdown. I just wanted to point out from their 28-26 win over Cincinnati, if you remove the five sacks that UCF had on Cincinnati, Cincinnati rushed for 272 yards. Yep. 7.2 yards per carry and l- allowed two different players Kiner and Ryan Montgomery to rush for over 110 yards each in that game while also allowing Emory Jones <laughs> to throw for over 200 yards in the 73% completion percentage.
1: Yeah. That to me is why I Give a little bit of pause to the to the theory that Central Florida is going to come in and present. I mean, I think they're I think they're going to give Oklahoma State a decent game. There's part of me that could see this getting out of hand. I mean, Oklahoma State has got to be healthy in this game. You can't have a laundry list of of an injury report coming out two and a half hours before the game. That would change things. But if you look at these teams on paper, this is. Oklahoma State's run game as a strength on a severe weakness, which is Central Florida's run defense. They gave up three ninety nine to Kansas, over almost two hundred to Oklahoma, who can't run the ball in air. This is this is a bad Central Florida run defense.
0: Yeah, I, I mean we'll we'll talk about their defense just to run through some stuff on their offense real quick, which is pretty good. Forty fifth in passing offense, fourth in the country in rushing offense seventh in yards per play 38th in points per drive 54th in sacks allowed. This one I know is an offense defense stat, but 110th in turnover margin. They turn it over a lot and they don't cause a lot of them. I know they've had some weird stuff going. You mentioned John rice, Plumlee being injured, having to play Tim McLean. Apparently everybody on the team had the flu before the OU game. And they still almost won that game. Somehow they've been really good on third down, like 50%, which Gundy's talked about. It's Gus Malzahn. If you've watched any Gus Malzahn team, I, we don't go super deep into the scheme because you've probably seen it before. It's kind of a wing tee inspired spread. I think of it as spread to run. It's a scheme that operates fast, tempo. They're not exclusively going four and five wideouts because they'll mix in some tight ends, even some two tight ends. You know, from previous times, you know at Auburn, Malzahn mainly went eleven p with run one running back, one tight end, and that tight end was normally like as an H back. They'll run inside zone. They'll do some sprint draw. They like to get a lot of mileage out of the gap schemes like power, GT counter, GH counter. They'll do some split zone bluff stuff. They'll do some split zone with your favorite escort motion. Uh From what I saw watching some of their games, they'll do QB power. They'll do wildcat with heart with R.J. Harvey, their running back. They'll do the jet sweep, but hand it off to a running back that split out wide. I personally didn't think they had a ton of success with GT counter, but they continue in the games I've watched. But they continue to run it. They really like to attack the perimeter in the passing game. Some solid drop back concepts. They'll do double post. They'll do shallow cross, which we know Oklahoma State runs that a lot. A lot of RPOs, glance routes, screens. Running back swing passes. They like to get Richardson, Johnny Richardson, the running back involved in the passing game. And like like I mentioned, they they really like the scheme game. They really like to run. John Rice Prumley, he's a really good runner. In this game, you need smart edge defenders. You need a smart field side linebacker, which we have in Xavier Benson. They don't take a ton of shots downfield. They're going to try to stress you horizontally. You are going to need to take good angles. Kendall Daniels, Trey Rucker, and they're always in. They're always going to mix in a few trick plays in every single game. So, you got to have smart linebackers and good third level reads from your safeties to make sure they're getting downhill and stopping this horizontal stress run game.
1: To me, it's we talked about the linebackers. If you, if you're going horizontal on Oklahoma State, that downfield blocking has got to be there. And it is where I think Oklahoma State presents a, a different challenge to UCF's offense than what they've seen against Cincinnati, than what they saw even against Oklahoma. I, I just feel like that 3-3 with who is that 3-3 for Oklahoma State is going to present a different challenge for Central Florida. They They run the ball really well. And when you look at them, it's not like Kansas but the way they want to run their offense predicated on the run to open up the pass it feels like that and what I think you have here is a quarterback that is not as dynamic a runner but you can't give up you know chunk plays through the air because you're looking in the backfield this is going to be a similar challenge to what Kansas presented
0: and honestly Cade I may be wrong on this like if a UCF person listened they may think differently, but from what I've seen, this offensive line is solid, but they're not great. They've had guys banged up like Marcellus Marshall, Bula Schmidt. They played three different centers this year in Schmidt, Hitler, and Metcalf. They've had some musical chairs on the offensive line, and even though they're the fourth best statistically rushing offense, I think that's more of having a really talented running quarterback in Plumley, or even when Plumley was out in McLean, having two really good running backs in RJ Harvey and Johnny Richardson, having good receivers to keep the defense honest in Javon Baker, Xavier Townsend, who's been banged up in Kobe Hudson, which I think Townsend might play all of that to go along with Gus Malzahn's scheming up that horizontal stress is how they're gaining yards on the ground. I do think, you can get a little pushback against this offensive line, and I have seen them blown backwards on some zone runs this year. So even though they've got some talented guys like a Tylen Grable and Amari Knight, a uh, Lokahi Poole, according to the pronunciation guide, they're not world beaters. I think OU's line's probably better. I think Oklahoma State's faced better lines this year.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. I I really think we're Central Florida presents their challenge to me. Obviously, the scheme is is really good, but when you look at it player by player, they've got R.J. Harvey and Baker, I think two of the better skill players that they've faced this season.
0: Yeah, I, this wide receiver group, if Townsend's back in Townsend, Hudson, and Baker, might be one of the best that they face faced. Yeah, I, would agree I mean, we that. talked about Javon Baker having the most yards against OU, aside from Rashad Owens, who just recently broke that. And then Harvey, who's 5'9", 205, and Richardson, who's 5'7", 170 at running back, they're both lightning fast. Harvey, according to PFF, four, over half of his yards have come on the perimeter. He's got a lot of missed tackles forced. Richardson's been banged up at times this year, but like I said, they get him involved in the passing game. If you miss a tackle on these guys, they're gone.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the concerning part. Stay sound in your defense fit your gap and don't let anybody behind you. And I think you win this game pretty simply.
0: Yeah. And then John Rice, probably Ole Miss transfer, super athletic. One of the best running quarterbacks I've watched recently. Baseball player, just all around good athlete likes to throw it to the other team. He's got seven picks and eight TDs this year. Uh, Also, he's been banged up. There was in the West Virginia game. He had three picks one of them though was absolutely ridiculous it bounced off i think it was baker's hands then like off somebody's foot off an head i think it might have hit a fan and then got picked off so it wasn't it wasn't like he was just throwing it to the other team but all seven of his interceptions according to pff have been on rpo or play action meaning he also is making poor reads and i've kind of seen that from some of the games i've watched but this is This guy is a designed running quarterback. 212 of his 290 rushing yards are on designed rushes. So he can scramble, but they're going to try to run him. They're going to try to run Harvey. They're going to try to run Richardson. And when you do start, or if they can get that running game going, that's when the play action passing starts happening with Baker, Townsend and Hudson.
1: Yeah. Well, Dustin, what do you see from them defensively that, you know, Oklahoma state can prepare for
0: Cade, hey, their defense is a hunt Their rush defense is hundred and twenty seventh out of one hundred and thirty. Yeah, they're almost yeah. dead last in the country in rush defense. Their pass defense is thirty fourth, but I honestly think their pass defense gets a little bit of a bump because teams just run just all over. Run and they all don't over. Need to pass. <laughs> they also don't create a ton of havoc. Sixty third in tackles for loss, thirtieth in sacks, which isn't bad, but. The advanced stats tell the same story. 115th in defensive yards per play, which they give up explosive plays, and a hundredth in defensive points per drive. It's an attacking defense. Addison Williams is their defensive coordinator. They've got a defensive end, a nose tackle, a defensive tackle, and then their buck, which is their kind of stand up. You know, we love to talk about the names that teams give these linebackers. This is kind of, this is basically the Leo that Oklahoma state ran it in the Knowles defense, but they call them a buck. And then their star defensive back is kind of their linebacker safety hybrid who'll kind of play the nickel spot, but they like to run cover one, cover three and quarters. It's a lot of single high, a lot of man coverage, a lot of aggressive stuff. Their corners can play, but it's not going to be like Cincinnati where you can just throw deep on them and expect Cincinnati's corners to not play well but they get confused with misdirection. Their linebackers and safeties flow really fast to the ball in the wrong direction. A lot of times I expect to see a lot of motion from Oklahoma state. I think that, you know, playing with single high, they'll bring an extra safety into the box, but they still haven't been able to stop teams. And when they drop into that cover three, that's when you can see somebody throws to the seams think Brennan Presley, Josiah Johnson, both of those guys I would think could have some big game potential against this type of defense. They'll even kind of show like two, four, five looks at times with the two down linemen. It's just, you know, they're, they've are they had a lot of missed tackles this year as well. The defense has just not looked very good.
1: Yeah, that, that's the way I see it. And I actually... The first uh, moment... That I watched UCF, I thought this was the Brennan Pressler game. That that was the way I felt leaving was that man. They don't do a whole lot to cover up the middle of that field. I think they try to, but I think if you if you're able to run on them and establish that, feels like this is a a big game for him. I actually wonder if they go inside with more passing game than they did last week, because they're going to be a, at least I believe they're going to be able to establish some success on the ground.
0: Yeah. I mean, some players to highlight for them. I like Lee Hunter, their defensive tackle, nose tackle, but he can get blown off the ball. Ricky Barbers, another guy to watch Tremon Morris bash their buck. They've got talented guys. They just don't seem to consistently make plays against the run. And, when you're talking about their linebackers, Jason Johnson, Walter Yates, who kind of has that Nick Martin in him a little bit. He flies around. But like I said, they get a little confused. They they don't fit the run well at times, and it leads to big plays. And then the defensive backfield, Gus Malzana said this in his presser pressers. They basically moved guys around because they've had so much issue there. They lost their star linebacker to Jordan Mask and have had to have had to replace him with Jarrell Wilson who's been good there, but, you know, like I said, they've mixed a bunch of guys around. They started Braden Marshall last game, who I I hadn't seen play a bunch in the games I watched before that. They've got Brandon Adams, who's a pretty good corner, but they, Quadrick Bullard, who was starting at safety, he's not playing as much now. So it's, it's hard to even make a depth chart for them be, on offense and defense because they've been moving so many guys in and out.
1: Yeah, they, they're a... I I would say they're a weird one to try to pin down. I just as I look at this game, I I feel like the spot and the line is three, so it it opened at one. So they are Vegas is begging you to pick Oklahoma State, which is not normally a good omen. But I feel like if Oklahoma State comes into this game after a loss, is it any is it any different? Like does does Vegas really think that these two teams are? on on level playing ground because when I watch him, I just I just don't see that.
0: I don't think so either, Cade. And as we go in to make our picks, I'll just read that out real quick. I have it at two and a half right now or three, like you said, and the over underline at 64 and a half. My worry is how many guys I noted in our review that are banged up for Oklahoma State. Is Jaden Bray gonna play? Is Brain Blaine Green gonna feel healthy enough to play? I'm, you know, Ollie Gordon with the turf burn and the ribs. I know this defense is really bad. You lose Jason Brooks. I You mentioned at the beginning of this preview, Oklahoma State can't come out with a laundry list of injuries. I'm worried that's what we're going to see on Saturday after giving it all in that last bedlam. And I'm not going to pick UCF to win because I still think Oklahoma State could beat this team with some of those guys out. But I'm not going to pick it as the blowout I would if Oklahoma state was fully healthy due to that. And I don't know anything. I'm not trying to start a rumor mill or anything like that. I'm just base. I'm just basing this off of how many guys had to leave the game and either come back or not come back from the OU game.
1: Yeah. I I think that's fair. I'm going to pick this game as if the guys that finished the game on Saturday play on Saturday to the level they played at. So I, I, I think Oklahoma State rolls. I I feel like there's a lot of talk about Oklahoma State coming on into this game, the hangover effect. That's I think Vegas is putting the line there for that reason. I just think when you look at this game, simply put, it's strength on weakness, strength on weakness. And Oklahoma State may give up some some big plays. I I bet they will. I think the environment will be crazy. It's their uh, space game. But I also feel like a, a run game that the run game that Oklahoma State has can do a lot to subdue that. And for that reason, Dustin, I see the lines at 64 and a half, at least where I looked. I'm going to not do what I did last week. I'm going to pick the score first and you decide if that's over or under. I, I'm going to go 41 to 24, Oklahoma State. I, I think that they come out. You've, you've got a leader in Alan Bowman, Mike Gundy who is going to speak to this all week to get ready that now you have a, a real shot at a conference title. You have an inside shot at a conference title appearance. Don't, don't slip up uh, at against a team that you should beat.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go 34, 27 Oklahoma state, just picking it a little bit closer, just because I'm a little bit worried about how many guys are banged up. (laughs) And like you said, it being a wild environment, New place to play. I do think there's a chance, and I'm not trying to like hedge my pick, but I think there's a chance if Ollie Gordon comes out in this game, if there's no injuries, long injury list, that Oklahoma State could win by three or four touchdowns. That's truly, that's
1: that's where I'm at. And I, I lean towards that being more possible than the inverse, you know, nightmare scenario where everybody's hurt you don't get much success on the ground. You turn the ball. Like that would be really surprising to me more surprising yeah. than Oklahoma state rolling in this game. So that's why I'm going to pick it that way. It'll probably end up being closer. Um, but that that's the way I see this one.
0: No, I love it. All right, let's do our final ad read and we can get out of here.
1: Let's go ahead.
0: And sorry, Kate, I'm still, I know I've said it multiple weeks in a row. I'm still a little under the weather. So I'm feeling my voice leaving after this long podcast. It may go completely out during this ad read. So apologies to Wild Oak Lighting, our sponsor. They're your authorized jellyfish lighting dealer for the greater Oklahoma city area, Stillwater, and several other Oklahoma markets. Jellyfish lighting is a permanent, but discreet color changing led system for the exterior of your home with 16 million different colors and patterns Jellyfish lighting can be used for Christmas, holiday, and accent lighting. And of course, Oklahoma State game day lighting. You can learn more about jellyfish lighting by checking out the website, wildoak-lighting.com, or you can follow them on Facebook or on Instagram at wildoak underscore lighting. Cade, I'm that guy this year. We're going ahead and turning our lights to Christmas lights. We've been doing different patterns. I had them as red and green kind of bouncing pattern last night. So it has the red, white, and green still pattern tonight. They look awesome. I mean, I think they look awesome anyway. Definitely go check them out. Tell the guys you heard about uh you heard about them from our podcast. They'll hook you up. It's the perfect time to get them as you move into the holiday season. And I love mine. Well, I know
1: they've been orange up until today when you turned them uh, to your Christmas lights. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was a little jealous of your lights this week as I wanted to light my neighborhood up bright orange and I couldn't (laughs) do it. So I'll I'll definitely uh, be doing that on the new house. So Dustin, I appreciate it, man. That was a blast. Thankful to be able to recap a Bedlam win with you. Frankly, I hope we never have to do it again because I'd love to take that one into eternity uh, for all of us. So with all that being said, big weekend coming up for Oklahoma State. Big stretch of games as as the Big Twelve season winds down. And if you're not already, be following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. That feels like forty five pod where we're breaking all this down. You can follow Dustin at Dustragoo. You can follow me at Cade Webb. And a special thank you to all of our sponsors that we mentioned today. Uh, we appreciate their support of this show. And we're gonna get out of here. We'll see you guys back here next week. Go Pokes.